Hello and welcome to another episode of Box Office Bingers. I'm your host, Matt Diaz, along with my co-host, Ernesto Santos. Ernesto, how are you doing today? I mean, I guess that's a relative statement. Yes. I'm in recovery, but I mean, I'm good. The the surgery was good. I mean, I'm in in pain, but I'm here. But that that we're still here to bring you another episode of Box Office Bingers. And we have... A very special guest. We do. Ali Akbari. Did I say it right this time? Yeah, it's Ali Akbari. I did. I yeah, yeah there you go. Yes. Uh, Thank for you those... for coming back on. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, guys. It's been a long time coming, that's for sure. We uh, Last time we had you on was for our New Year's Eve episode. And as of right now, you are currently the holder. Well, yeah, you currently hold our longest running episode at two hours and 47 minutes so i'm not sure if you're trying to beat that record today we don't have to that's not part of our plan today (laughs) i just have to say when you mentioned currently holding is just has this kind of undertone that someone's about to break my record and i don't like that (laughs) i'm not letting that happen Ali's like, all right, we're strapping down for another three and a half hours, so get get ready. I love a challenge. <laughs> I mean, not for nothing. I'm not going anywhere. Hey. I mean, I'm laid yeah, up. that's right. Ali, <laughs> right. uh, uh, last time we spoke to you, you were on uh, a holiday break, and you are a professor at, at in Utah, correct? University of Utah, yeah. Yes. Uh, so, how, how have you been since this last couple of months since we last spoke to you? Well, um, obviously, it's been a rocky road with everybody, you know, because of the whole coronavirus um, last semester. So I'm, I'm a graduate student and also teach at the University of Utah. And as, you know, we were kind of having our classes in the middle of like, right in the middle of our spring break, we were told um, that the classes will be online, like all of a sudden. And I had to not only kind of navigate continuing my classes and like, you know, studying uh, online, some of the classes that were actually hands-on, which didn't make sense. And I had to turn my own class into online as well. But my own class was a lecture-based, so that was much easier. Right. Uh, And so like, and now moving into this next semester, I'm sure you have more difficulties that you have to overcome. And as well as every school, university, you know, moving forward, we all have to make a whole bunch of changes. So are you, I guess, adjusting well to what possibly could be coming up in the future for you, at least to the university? Well, you know, as I am an anxious wreck, um, so it hurts that um, I have a lot of uncertainties. Um, some things, at least I know, for instance, I got a grant to be able to make my own class for spring of 2021. Um, but with this COVID and not knowing when the second wave is going to be and how uh, impactful it's going to be, I don't know how I would go about making a kind of a hands-on class into a um, online or hybrid class, which right. Yeah. So we'll see how I will teach experimental media production, um, but you know we'll see it. I'll but, let you guys know. <laughs> thank you. Yes, you say you, you're hands-on. So like, and that, now those who forgot, he you you are a professor of film. You teach film. Yeah. And so like every film class that I've ever taken. Not hands-on. It's, it's, it's basically well, you yeah, watch a movie, you write about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> those, were, those are very much like a film studies class. Um, okay. And like history classes or introduction. Like that's how my class was previously. Like 
that I had to turn it into online. So that was easy right, um, right. for me to change that. Um, but for this one, it's actually a production class for experimental media. So it okay. involves actual techniques and skills that need to be taught and be able to have laboratory time as well. So we'll see, um, you know. Huh. We'll we'll be wearing masks, but <laughs> right, I mean, right. I don't know. <laughs> as long as you're I'm, following the yeah. CDC guidelines, you know. Yeah. I've ordered my kind of a Darth Vader mask to kind of like be just put on a helmet thing. <laughs> <laughs> Talk through the voice changer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure your students are gonna love that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Ollie, again, thank you for coming on or, yeah, coming back with us to talk more about movies. And Ernesto, you're, I, I thank you most of all. And also, from what I've heard, your wife had helped you set up so you can be with us this morning. Yeah, man, she's a champ. I was like, I was like, hand me the equipment. I was like, put this here and put that there. She, like, helped me set up my whole my whole workstation I got set up here. So yes. shout out to her. In, in the, you should so, get an executive producer title. Yeah, yeah she's going to get product. We're going to give her some production credit for, yeah. this, for this specific episode. <laughs> well, I'm glad a lot of it feels like a lot of hard work was in, so you can come be with us today and give us give you guys another episode of this show. So looking forward to everything we have to say, and then also for uh, for our review for this week, we have two movies we're going to review for you this week. One. It, Double feature, indeed. Uh, we have our foreign film of the month, which is called Burning. So we're going to review that. And then also the brand new movie that just hit Netflix, uh, Spike, a new Spike Lee joint called The Five Bloods. And we're going to also be reviewing that later in the show. But first, we're going to talk about some news. There's a lot that happened this week. And so we want to keep you guys informed. So first of all, as the Black Lives Matter movement continues, we want to give a moment to inform you guys of some of the free movies that are available uh, to rent right now and to help you have help you guys have a better understanding so right now on all digital platforms throughout the month of june for free you can rent just mercy selma the hate you give ali not the one our not our guest but the one from muhammad <laughs> ali with will smith yeah. <laughs> uh brian banks antoine fisher the secret life of bees monsters and monsters and men and home of the brave all of those movies are available for free you can rent them at all digital uh, digital media platforms uh, like Vudu, iTunes, Google Play, uh, I believe also Fandango. So all of them are available for free. Recommend giving those a watch. Also, uh, uh, Netflix and HBO Max has curated a range of film and TV shows as well as documentaries that share black stories and focus on powerful and complex narratives about the black experience. I, if you do have any of those two streaming services, it's pretty much right on the homepage that they have, that, that collection, the black lives matter collection is there for you to, to browse through also recommend um, giving that a look as well. And then also if you go to our Instagram page at box office underscore bingers, We've been doing a recurring segment called Recognizing Black Cinema, and we're highlighting some movies that we also feel like you should be giving a watch. So right on our Instagram page is there for you. And we have more, like right now we have two volumes already put out. We have more on the way to, to continue this uh, movement going. I know, Ali, you reached out to me and you recommend some other mm -hmm. films to also to watch as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also another thing is the, the documentary, The 13th, uh, which is on Netflix. That one um, I highly recommend, but 
not only even if you don't have Netflix, um, Netflix itself put the entire feature on YouTube for free. Oh, did they? Uh, so they themselves did that, and so you can watch that as well. Um, and yeah, I have mentioned some films and the fact that um, Criterion Collection have um, created this um, also free uh, on their website um, that it's recognizing black cinema and also recognizing films that are made by black filmmakers. Um, specifically, I really love the Daughters of the Dust um, and Watermelon Women. Uh, so I highly suggest those as, you know, other ones that have been mentioned. Some of them I haven't seen, so I have to check them out myself. Right. And Ernesto, you've also sent me a couple of lists as, as we were continuing this. Uh, yeah, just some that I have seen a long, a long time ago. Uh, what do you have on? What's on the list? What do you got going on the list for this week? Uh, for this week, now you put me on the spot. I don't have that list ready. I'll get it. I got it. Okay. Uh, right now, uh, some that I was, that, I mean, actually a lot of people reached out to us on our Instagram page and recommended some of the films. So I'm just going to list some of them that we're going to be featuring, uh, sometime this week. Uh, we have the color purple was also, was mm-hmm. mentioned, Great uh, film. moon, moonlight was mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or, or, or Ali, you mentioned, uh, 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 mudbound. That's yes. on Netflix. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that. Uh, 12 Years of Slave. Did I just say that? I'm not sure if I said no, that. No, you didn't. That's a different okay, story. yeah, 12 Years of Slave. Uh, the Butler. Did you guys see The Butler? I, uh, yeah, that's uh, Forrest Whitaker, right? Forrest Whitaker, yeah. yeah. Yep, well, he plays it. But yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, that's Lee Daniels film. Yep. Yes. And what's good about Moonlight is that Moonlight not only highlights black, but it also highlights LGBTQ. Yes, yeah. it does. The same and, way with uh, Watermelon Women as well. I mean, Watermelon Women, when came, it was the uh, the first black lesbian film that was created. And it's made by the, the, the filmmaker herself. She's also in the movie as well. So, oh, wow. yeah, acts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those are just a couple of movies that we're going to be referencing on our uh, Instagram page. And also, again, if you have some we didn't mention or you have other ones, just just reach out to us. Either we have a we have a Gmail. I think boxofficebingers at gmail dot com, right, Ernesto? Yep. If you go to the Instagram page, there's a link there that'll take you to the Gmail. But it's boxofficebingers at gmail dot com. If you guys want to yeah. send us a little notes, and yes, I guess yes. you, they can also message you on Instagram, right? I mean, that's yeah, how exactly. I communicate with you guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So all, all there's many ways to like we would like to keep this conversation going, keep the recommendations going, uh, because this is important. You're right now and so we want to keep spreading out as much as we can uh, through this process so yeah so you can you know all that is coming very soon on our uh, social media channels uh moving on from that uh sinmark moving to go moving over to movie theaters you know all of us here we are very tied to the movie theater experience yeah. so uh sinmark has announced uh, about two about a week ago that they said that they're going to be reopening their theaters as of june 19th while AMC saying that they are planning on reopening their theaters in early July. So, with that, that that makes me very, very excited. But also, I'm not sure what they're going to be playing. So, like, if, for example, I know, Ernesto, you are in recovery right now. So, maybe you're not rushing yeah. to the theater at the moment. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. But at least, like, when you hear the theaters are reopening, does that make you want to, like, the urgency to finally get back into the theater or really it's like well what are you playing first before i go out and rush is like is is that kind of like your drive as well um for me well if i wasn't post-surgery obviously yes 
Um, I would I would be willing to go because they they need pe- they need people to come in. You know, they need people to. Uh, so I would be go. I would, I would want to go in to see the process. So actually, I almost want to see a movie that maybe I don't want to pay attention to all the way. That maybe right. I wasn't one hundred percent interested in because it's more of let's help them get them reopened. Let's help show that they're going to practice social distancing. That they're going to make it safe for us to still enjoy the movie theater experience. So I'm you know I'm in it. I'm in it for them, hopefully for them to survive in some way and one way or another. Right. Ali, where, where are your thoughts on, like, do you feel the urgency to go there immediately as soon as they reopen? I, I wouldn't necessarily say urgency to go immediately. I also have this kind of feeling that I really want theaters to um, continue and be able to, you know, I, I definitely hate this narrative that, you know, just, oh, because you can see a film at home, that by itself makes um, kind of theaters um, no longer needed. I completely disagree with that. I really do um, believe in theaters, and I do believe that you really need to see some films specifically um, in theaters for sure. So I would definitely navigate to see what films there are that I really want to see specifically in theaters um, that are kind of like highly visual and um, I really need that kind of the sound design to really shine through in the movie theater. So I'll see what film they show, but I definitely will check it out. But also paying attention to some, you know, theaters that are not necessarily completely chains and like, a, you know, international chains like AMC or cinema, um, maybe just recognizing some of the smaller and the local ones and kind of trying to help those survive. So then do you see primarily the small theater houses surviving and the big boxes not surviving? Uh, no, I would, I think actually like it, the hurt is more by the ones that are smaller. Uh, yeah. definitely. Um, so that's why I think I would try, that would be my priority to try to help those theaters more if I can. Because so, I feel, cause you no, know, just saying, cause I feel like the smaller theaters have always found their own way to survive because those smaller theaters don't always play like what's currently in the theater. They're usually playing, you know, some kind of indie film or they're playing, you know, just something, you know, like they have some kind of event that's tied to the film. I felt like they've always found their niche of finding their own way to survive without showing the big blockbusters. I mean, I haven't been to a lot. That's kind of my perception of them. They for sure have their own niche, but I mean, with, but that niche itself, I mean, just in that the title itself means very small pool of market. Um, so therefore, when you have this coronavirus, you just have nothing now. Um, yeah, so it's much cheaper and it's much easier for them to have and show some films that are classic and they're not necessarily like recent films. Uh, but still, you know, they really are being hurt because of the coronavirus as many. I mean, yeah, you know, businesses, course, yeah. big or small. Yeah. Uh, I, go ahead, Ernest. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Man. I, I was just saying that uh, you you were mentioning local theaters. Just a couple of our local theaters here in Orlando, uh, you know, that have reopened. Uh, the NZN, I know, or not, uh, <laughs> Ollie, that's one of your favorite theaters yeah. here in Orlando. And so that has reopened, and they're playing a collection of Hitchcock films. That's like their out of the gate movie, and uh, and then the Aloma Cinema Grill has also. Um, reopened. Alamo or the Alam? No, not uh, Aloma. 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 Okay. Yeah. Aloma Cinema Grill has they reopened last Friday and they actually are playing 
some of the older movies. So you have that was uh, they, they, they it's a very small theater, but they play new releases. I think they, there's only three theaters in there or three screens, and I think they're playing Doolittle, The Way Back, and then they also got uh, Trolls World Tour, yeah. the one that was on premiering here. And you know, actually going back and you know, I was telling Megan, I'm like, look, they have Trolls. That's a new one. We should yeah. go see Trolls and support the local theater. And, <laughs> and then, like, they were – I think they charge like, $6 a person, and you have to, like – you have to call in advance to make your reservation. I was actually doing a little bit of digging on on how they're uh, going through, and they obviously they have the new uh, security measures and procedures they have to go through. They recommend you looking at their menu online because it's also a dinner – a dining experience as well. And, you know – and then – and then here, here's the part that's difficult because you, you've spent the price of two movie tickets and that's $12 to go see this movie. And then you have, you know, I can go on my digital media service right now and they reduce the price of renting that movie for $15. So now you're at, now you're at the point of like, well, how do you want to see the movie? And I, and I feel like you're doing more good to, you know, you're spending less and you're supporting a local theater. Mm-hmm. But then some people can have the mentality of like, well, if I spend $3 more, I don't have to leave my house and I can rent this movie if I hadn't already. So I, we are at a very uneasy time with the theaters right now because the prices are very comparable at the moment. And that's, and that's for like a collective ticket. Like you pay $3 more for a collective ticket. And then you, you call like five of your friends like, Hey, I just rented this movie. Why don't y'all come over and we could just have a movie night here. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Cause it's I- only, Go ahead, Arlie. Have you guys uh, tried watching or like purchasing like a film like Trolls or um, The World Tour or any of these films that came out recently? So I don't know if they ask you how many people are watching and things like that. You know, that that by to me, like I'm wondering about that. You know, so right. that because in some scenarios it really does make sense. Like a film like Trolls, like when you have a family that not only you know the the parents are going, but also the kids are going, that suddenly racks up the, the price. Um, mm-hmm. Now, if you are able to just only rent it um, and see it at home, that may really economically make more sense for them. But still, again, you know, we are talking about being able to help the, the theaters as well. So, you know, it, you right, have to right. find that balance between your own self economy and your own family and as well as like, the, the causes or stuff that you are trying to preserve. Right. Uh, Ali, you, you just asked the question if we, I, up until this week, I had not participated in this model. I, I'm going to give you a tease. I, I'm going to give you a tease. I have this week participated in this. Oh. I will talk about it a little bit later in the show because okay. it, it's part of, it's part of the what you're watching segment that we have. Oh. Uh, so I'm, I'm just going to tease it that I have, officially participated and i'll give you my thoughts a little bit later on as when we get there serious math yes <laughs> uh but yeah i have some things to say about it that's for sure yeah. um all right so yeah so i mean so theaters are reopening and that's all a great sign um and so hopefully more can reopen and we can get back to a certain flow of movies coming into the theaters that you know because obviously the big one now the big one the biggest one that's going to be coming out is mulan from Disney on July 24th. Yeah. There's, there's other small movies that are coming out, but I feel like this is the one that's going to bring people to the theater the most. And I feel like if they can if they can keep that date, if Disney can keep that date, they can have a better idea of how many people are actually like how sustainable the new 
the new way of going to the movies could actually work. Yeah. So that would be a time to tell for sure. Uh, moving on, even talking about the movies, uh, the Academy uh, of Motion Pictures of Arts, uh, Arts and Sciences announced yesterday that the 93rd Academy Awards telecast will be postponed by two months. So now instead of our, you know, Oscar ceremony is going to be happening in February, they pushed it back until April 25th, 2021. Films that are released up to February 28th, 2021 will be eligible and the nominees will be announced on March 15th, 2021. So Ollie, do you think that's a smart move on the Academy's part to push this back? Yes, um, definitely, because I, I don't think uh, you want the the nominations to only include films like Sonic, Sonic. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, you, you really want to give a chance to a lot of films that, you know, we're really planning on having a release date later in the year, but not being able to keep that date and having to push that. So it is very smart. Um, I'm still kind of like wondering how the ceremony is going to be as well, um, because I know the Emmys, uh, for instance, the creative Emmys um, parts that they are planning on just doing it over um, virtual. Um, mm. But at the same time, nobody was watching creative Emmys. I mean, no shade to them, but like it was just always being ignored. So it was always just in the back um, burner and nobody was really paying attention to. So I'm also interested about how it will be for the, the main kind of the primetime Emmys and things like that. So the events itself, um, I'm interested in and um, we just have to see. It's a it's a very good move to move that. Um, uh, first of all, last year was way too early. I mean, last year they moved it earlier um, right. than they normally did. Um, and I really hated that. Um, so I think the move is a smart decision smart move uh ernest do you have any any thoughts on that no i mean it's good it seems like it's going to be more inclusive it also seems like it's closer like they're including movies that are going to be closer to the date that it's going to air like i right. always felt like that like for if I, I forgive me if i'm wrong like new year's eve was like the year was the cutoff and then you got like almost two months of movies this is like you're adding an additional month to so who knows so if there's more recent films that are going to be more inclusive. Yeah, it, you're right. It does sound like that for sure. And, you know, for, for movies that are having right now, as, as well as every movie is having issues right now with production and they're trying to make the film and put it out, this does give them a little bit of leeway if you were planning on giving your movie uh, an Oscar run or at least an Oscar chance. So I, I think, yeah, I think pushing this back. And, and who knows, maybe, you know, we, this could be the the maybe a new way, a new time for the Oscars. Maybe they feel like that having it in April will be better off instead of always having it in February. Sure. Uh, I don't know what else ABC airs in the middle of April. I'm not sure if they're like, hey, this isn't going to work out for us. We need that Sunday, that one Sunday night, we need that uh, in, in the middle of April. I mean, so, who uh, watches Network? It's, it's, <laughs> true. Very true. But it, it's also further away from the Super Bowl because I always felt like, they yeah. weren't they weren't competing with weekends, but they were very close together. They were, yeah, very. Especially like Ali just mentioned, this this year, this past year was very close. You had the Super Bowl, and then you had the Oscars. This is one week from apart. So, I, and typically the Oscars are always in the end of February. So now that since movies that have come out up until the end of February, I think we could have uh, an interesting amount of films in this in this category, and also 
Didn't uh, I also read uh, that uh, Ava DuVernay is part of the the, the board now? I did see yeah, that. Yeah, she's, she's now the president of the the governor's ball. Um, so mm-hmm. it's uh, I think I think she got the presidency of the governor's ball, which in case like it, it she will oversee a lot of the rule changes and things like that, especially when it comes to. Um, the that uh, there is a governor's kind of a event that happens for the lifetime achievements and all those, so mm. that kind of like takes place within that. Um, another thing that the Oscars have done is that they have they are talking about adding a diversity and inclusion um, kind of a rule for um, being able to be eligible for the um, best picture and the the kind of a the outline of that will be released. Um, they have to come up with an answer or kind of a decision by July 31st. So they haven't yet announced it, but they said we are talking about adding certain rules of that. And also, you know how it has been always between five to ten films that would get Best Picture and never ten. It was always a little bit snobbish about it. It would just like nominate nine or sometimes nominate mm-hmm. eight. Right uh, now, they say that it will be ten each year, no matter what. So it will be the top ten. It will be ten uh, films nominated for Oscars. So those are the changes that have been at least like put in place, and we are right. also looking forward to see what that um, new rules will be for diversity and inclusion. Interesting. And I'm sure once we get all those information, we'll let you know on our Instagram page. Uh, but yeah, I, it's it's nice that they are committing now because 10 is a nice round number because they can easily like these are the these are we what we feel like are the top 10 movies of of this of this year and as well as you know it just gives more films a chance to get that spot and and i think the last time and i could be wrong about this the last time we actually had 10 movies up there i believe was in 2008 i don't don't think we've ever had oh really um i yeah, I think it has always been that they can be up to 10, but we've never reached the 10. Um, almost kind of, yeah, please, whoever is searching that, do the search. <laughs> because it always felt very snobbish to me that it's just like, yeah, we could have 10. But like right. last year, we had eight. Uh, the year before, right. I think we had nine. Um, it's always being really weird about that. Um, and you know, every now and then you have like animation also being nominated within it, you know, whether or not you agree with that. Um, sometimes you do agree with that or not. I mean, this is just, we just need to have a concrete, more concrete reason. Yeah, I I totally agree. Uh, I guess that's interesting. If the movie holds merit enough, like should it be considered not only for best animated picture, but also best picture like overall? Yeah. I mean, this, this is a very similar conversation we were having foreign with language. with foreign language. You know, the yeah. foreign language film Parasite was. You know, they were. It's it, they have their own character. Yes, they thankfully they they did win because that movie is amazing. It's if amazing. you still haven't seen that movie, what are you doing? Go see Parasite yeah. on Hulu. Do yourself a favor. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know that was that was like the big question. It won for best foreign film or best foreign language film. And like, should it also be in the best picture category? And of course it does. Yeah. Of course it should be there. So like, why wouldn't it, why can't you get both? And this year's Oscars proved that you can get both. I don't think it was ever given to an animated movie though. So if it has never been given to it, um, it has been nominated. Uh, Oh, okay. Yes. I have, I've misspoke. 
Uh, it wasn't. I just quickly looked this up. It wasn't the 2008 nomination or year. It was the 2010 Oscars uh, that nominated actually ten films. Oh, in, was in that the, the year and, that also had Toy Story three? No, that was not. Oh. Uh, Toy Story three, uh, not not in this year, I should say. Oh. But uh, 2010 was the year. So the 82nd Academy Awards. They had 10 movies listed. The Hurt Locker won for Best Picture. But other films that were nominated that year were Avatar, Up. So Up was an animated movie. Yeah. Uh, Precious, The Blind Side, District 9, Up in the Air, A Serious Man, and Education, and Inglorious Bastards. They were all nominated uh, for Best Picture. So it has been done before. I think that was the last time I had seen that, like a nice laundry list of, of, of movies that, that were nominated. A Serious Man is also a very underrated film that, people should check out it's on I, netflix i've never heard of it it's a it's a coen brothers film it's it's hilarious it is probably my favorite coen brothers film even okay. though like i love fargo and like you know you always talk about fargo but of course yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> um all right so the oscars obviously are gonna be very different this year mm-hmm. uh or next year i should say so that's a little ways away we still have like another 10 months to go before we can even have that in the conversation. But also one other thing we mentioned foreign language film kind of, you know, sneaking up into the, you know, best picture and animation. Um, how about documentaries? We have best documentary, mm-hmm. but, you know, we've never had, you know, documentary film kind of running into the best picture. So, you know, there needs to be a certain kind of concreteness within it. If, if there is, if there are all like one or two of them are able to documentary should be as well. So, right. Yeah. Especially that's, that's now a, that documentary feature has been getting a, another kind of a life in, yeah. with all the streaming services. Of course, sure. of course. Sure. Um, I, I don't. I honestly, I don't really know when, where else I could find documentaries if it wasn't for streaming services. I can't. It's like, oh, I can't wait to. I mean, I guess you can always rent it, but I feel like it's like almost every documentary that I'm looking for, it's on a streaming service somewhere. It's mm-hmm. kind of where it belongs. Yeah. Like, exactly. Yeah. It feels like you, like that's where it should be. Like, yeah. like TV shows and documentaries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. So we're looking forward to the Academy Awards as, as always. Uh, moving on from that, we got a couple of release dates. So that's pretty exciting. Apple TV announced that the upcoming Tom Hanks World War II film, Greyhound, will be available to stream on starting July 10th on Apple TV+. Remember, Greyhound was originally had a theatrical release earlier this year, but Sony Pictures sold the film to Apple due to, to COVID-19. So you can start streaming that. If you were looking forward to that, I believe it was supposed to be out Memorial Day, and then they pushed it back to Father's Day weekend, so it would have been this Friday. And now, instead of, you know, now it's going to be on Apple TV+, and it's going on July 10th. So it's good added content if you are an Apple TV Plus subscriber. Uh, Dave Bautista's new film, My Spy, it's more on the kids' side of things, uh, has officially been giving a release date of June 26th, so in a couple of weeks. Uh, that will be available to stream on Amazon Prime Video. Again, the film was originally supposed to be have a theatrical release. Actually, it had many, many dates. It was actually supposed to be released at the end of 2019. Then it got pushed to February, and then it got pushed to March, and then they're like, March is not going to work out. And they were like, you know what? We're just going to give it to Amazon. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a lovebird situation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. They were uh, almost new mutanting it. <laughs> yeah, almost. 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 <laughs> I don't think they hit that many dates, but yeah, no. they were pretty close to it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, X, X, STX Entertainment 
was they sold the film to Amazon. So now people can finally see the movie. And, and lastly, Warner Brothers. They gave us a slew of delays yet again. And my heart almost dropped when they released this one because I saw like Tenet delayed. I'm like, no, not Tenet, not this one. <laughs> you can't delay this one. Yeah, exactly. Luckily, though, they only pushed it back by two weeks. And I was like, all right, I can live with two weeks. Yeah. I, I, I was going to be devastated. They were like, we're just going to push this back like, you know, another year. So I'm like, oh, man, like all the other movies. But luckily, two weeks, so we're good on that. So if you want to see Tenant, it's now being released on July 31st. And it was originally supposed to be on July 17th. So now mm-hmm. July 31st, you can check that out. Wonder Woman got pushed back yet again. It was supposed to be in June. Then they pushed it back to August. And now you can see it on October 2nd. Actually, uh, they did a, a pretty cool promotions that I saw on their Twitter page is that I don't know if this was digitally, and I hope it's not because it now ruined the experience for me. But they had like the top movie theater change posted on their like their sign in front of their theater that like Wonder Woman 80, 1984 is out on October second, twenty twenty. And so I thought that was pretty cool that they, you know all the theaters kind of like, came together to do that. Uh, I just hope it wasn't digitally put on there because then that would just make me sad. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so you can check that out on uh, October 2nd. Godzilla versus King Kong. I was really hoping this was going to stand, but it's not. It got pushed from its November 20th date. It will be now released on May 21st, 2021. And Ooh. the Matrix, yeah, I know I got, got a good probably six months got pushed back. And then the Matrix 4 was mm-hmm. supposed to be released on the date that now Godzilla and King Kong holds, which is May 21st. They now push that May 21st of 2021. No, I apologize. Uh, that that got pushed back to February 8th. Well, <laughs> let's restart that again. Uh, <laughs> the Matrix 4 will now be released on April 1st, 2022. Oh, my God. I believe I read that correctly. Um. So, yeah, so a lot of movies have been pushed back. I mean, this is nothing new uh, of all these, uh, you know, movies being pushed back. So Warner Brothers was just the, the latest one to be like, hey, we got to make some decisions here. And I, I guess they weren't really confident with having Tenet on that release date. So they had to make some measures and uh, push it back by two weeks, which in turn was a domino effect that they had to push back all of their other films as well. So I think that's a good move on their part, as long as we can get the movies. I think we're good. So, yeah. So, but I mean, I'm also interested. Like, I mean, once Tenet opens, what other films are going to be even next to it? I mean, is it just going to be Tenet? Um, if that's the case, you know, that that by itself may count, be able to balance that loss of because of the COVID, like people are not being, you know, um, people being worried to go to theater, but if Tenet opens and nothing really substantial is opening next to it, then everybody who do go to movie theater would go see that. So maybe that will balance that. Um, and do, that's do you, still, yeah. Do you think that they need a steady stream of new releases to get the ball rolling, or do you not feel like, right like now. Not okay? Right. I mean, I think. For July and, you know, August would just have to be a little bit like one film per week, maybe as a release. Um, But nothing more than that. We just have to be more careful. 
So Ali, yeah. to answer your question, um, looking through like the coming soon list right now, you have so the next big temple release right now is Mulan on July twenty fourth. So I think, like I said before, that's going to be the movie that drove to drive people to the theater. If anything, um, you do have a Russell Crowe movie called Unhinged and another one uh, called The Broken Hearts. Uh, I think it's called The Broken Hearts, The Broken Hearts Gallery. Um, and so that's getting a, a theatrical release on July 10th. But those are the smaller films. That's not going to draw people to the theater. Um, but definitely Mulan is. And then a week later, you have Tenet. And then after that, if this is any consolation for you, you have the SpongeBob movie. That's a week <laughs> later. Okay. So that could get a lot of kids into the theater. Mm-hmm. And then and then shortly after that, you have Bill and Ted face the music. I have to say, like, I'm happy with the fact that, you know, a big film like Tenet um, or like Mulan, like the films that are for like family um, are being at least one week or two weeks separated. Right, right. Uh, we don't need everybody just at the same time in the movie theater. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. But, you know, there needs to be some distance. Distance, right. <laughs> Social and distance. So, like, so, so hopefully, you know, I, I, even looking at this, I didn't realize that, you know, they do have a decent amount of films that are coming out week after week like you said the one movie a week mm-hmm. yeah. uh, like the big one that would take people to the theater so hopefully this is enough to to uh to bring people back and and then also it depends on their safety guidelines as well uh how and how each theater is doing things so fingers crossed that we you know have a nice safe transition and the theaters can live again because yeah. i i do and i do miss going but as of right now there's nothing out so there's nothing to miss but once the theater, once the movies start coming out, then I'll be like, all right, I think I'm missing out on a couple of things. I got to get back into the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so that's all the movies we have for you. Uh, that's all the news we have for you guys this week. So now we're going to move on to what you're watching. And I'll listen to you, our guest for this week. We'll start with you. So what have you been watching? So I've been watching. Um, I know this much is true on HBO. Uh, it was a mini series uh, with Mark Ruffalo. It's based on a novel. Um, and it just ended on Sunday. Um, and it, boy, it's an emotional ride. It's 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 really really sad and depressing, but it's done in such a subtle way. Like the it's very well and complex way of just um, human understanding and of this character and Mark Ruffalo himself. Like he plays um, himself and his uh, brother who suffers from um, uh, schizophrenia. And it's it's just such a well-done um, miniseries. And it's just, I think, six episodes. Um, and I highly uh, kind of, you know, recommend that for people to watch. And it also was shot on film. And it was mm. just such a refreshing thing to see. Um, I also see, like, a trailer for another kind of a miniseries that is coming out. I, I forgot the, the title by HBO that also that one was um, on film. So... That is interesting to me to see, like, you know, now they are at least using film. They're not by HBO for their miniseries. I'm hoping right. this kind of continues more and it's not just a couple. Uh, is the movie you're referencing, is, I'm sorry, the, the limited series you're referencing, is it called uh, Perry Man- Manson? Uh, I think Perry Manson is supposed to be a series. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but maybe that one I also like noticed to be, but that one I only see the trailer. But definitely, I know that I know this much is true was shot on film. On film, okay. I wasn't sure if that was the movie, uh, the show yeah. you were talking about. Uh, so, and it's Mark Ruffalo, Catherine Hahn, 
um, Rosie O'Donnell, um, and some other. Oh, uh, Julia Lewis as well. Okay. It's got a pretty big cast. Yeah, it has a very, very well, like, capable, and everybody just does a marvelous job. As well as Melissa Leo, like an Oscar winner, Melissa mm. Leo plays the role of the mother. Uh, I that was on my radar. I saw honestly, I saw Mark Ruffalo and like, oh, you, you get two Mark, you get two Ruffalos in yeah. one in one show. Two I'm, of them. I'm, yeah, you got two. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I wonder if one of them is going to be Hulk, but this one is not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched this. I watched all six episodes expecting the Hulk, and I didn't yeah. get it. This show is shit. <laughs> Garbage. Garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's also you know I like to see shows and movies after like because you know ollie i don't have to tell you i'm a big marvel fan yeah so it, but it's also nice to I see can these see actors. something behind you <laughs> <laughs> you got you got thor ragnarok as part yeah. of the and then also black panther there as well yeah. <laughs> and uh that's spider-man homecoming yes yeah, so you got yeah. a little bit of a little bit of marvel uh <laughs> on my on my screen um but yeah i um i it, it's nice to see how these actors transition from the uh, I guess the superhero world because I know they were acting in other things and some actors like especially Robbie Downey Jr. Not, nothing against his acting abilities but like every time I see him on stream like you're Iron Man like I, it's hard for me to not see that and so like when I when you get like uh, right now Chris Evans he was in a series called Defending Jacob yeah. on Apple TV Plus so like I haven't seen it yet but I'm really intrigued to see something else from him because the last couple of years you just see the one character and so you just associate yourself with the one character. So I'm looking forward to seeing, I know this one's just true, and see other things that Mark Ruffalo can do, since I feel like it's been a while since I've seen him and other things. But yeah. with Mark Ruffalo, is very, I think it's a little bit different, different than um, Chris Evans, because he is just very much, was known to be playing in a lot of independent and indie films and smaller um, film he himself would choose those roles rather than big budget like Hulk to me like you know playing in Avengers was the most kind of like oh wow he decided on that I mean obviously it's a very good career move for him but it was very much just out of what he had normally done um, right, with Chris course, yeah. other thing before besides uh, you know playing Captain America that I knew was playing in you know Fantastic Four so for me, I, I knew him as someone who played in superhero roles. Yeah, when you when you mentioned that, Ali, that reminds me of um, uh, him of like uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, because Benedict Cumberbatch is like that. Because you think of movies he's done, like um, what's that one, The Imitation Game? That was a really great <laughs> yeah, movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like I always I always when I think of him, like I always think of him the same way, like in indie roles and stuff like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else have you been watching, Ali? Uh, what else have I been watching? I'm trying to think. Oh, well, during this whole quarantine, my escapist route was uh, rewatching um, Arrested Development. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, and I and I don't know if you continued giving it a try. I think you maybe just stopped at a certain point. I know you've tried a couple of times, Matt. Right? Uh, no, no. I I actually I finished it. You finished I, it? Okay. I, I I finished it a while ago. Yeah, I I did give it the whole the whole look and. I didn't care for the last season at all. I didn't find it very okay. funny. Yeah. That just, I, uh, we actually, it's funny enough you mentioned it cause we actually talked about this last week oh, with, really? uh, with our other guest. Yeah. And excuse me. And so they, um, we were talking about it briefly and, and how I, it took me a while to get into arrest development. 
Um, and I really love season four and the last season I could care less about it. For me, it wasn't funny. I, yeah, rewatching that was fun, a, a good escape, but definitely the first three seasons are just outstanding, um, especially the first two. Uh, and then one thing that I found out during this rewatch, I was just like, I was watching the season four and I was like, this doesn't seem like how I watched it before. This yeah. is bizarre. <laughs> and then I yeah. found out that they recut it. They did. It made it in a way that most of the seasons were. But now you get the narrator, like Ron Howard, just narrating the entire time, pretty much. Like you right. get like two minutes of an actual kind of interaction. And then he just goes on forever, Ron Howard, to just give you that and putting all these episodes. Because originally it was for season four was each character would have their own episode kind of. Right. Or a couple of episodes, but now it's just putting all of them and just smooshing them all together to kind mm-hmm. of create that more parallel story. And I did not enjoy rewatching it through that. Um, so, <laughs> you know, yeah. there is a way that you, that I think if you, you go could, to like, yeah, tra- yeah you, trailers and more, they'll give you yeah. all of them how they were originally edited. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I agree with you, Ali. I prefer the first way they edited it, not yeah. the second way. You, uh, what, what else you got for us? Have you seen Arrested I've seen the, I've seen like kind of, I've seen the first couple seasons, but then I kind of just dropped off. Like I, I have yet to see how the story ends. I think I dropped off either season three or season four. Okay, well, it's it's a good one. I I, I enjoyed the, especially the beginning ones to rewatch. Yeah. yeah, the earlier stuff is definitely way better than what, unfortunately, what Netflix ended up producing. Uh, what else you got, Arlie? Anything else? I'm trying to think um, if I saw anything else. Um, I I did watch Jojo Rabbit on plane oh, when I was yeah. coming over here, and it was delightful. I really enjoyed it. Um, I I think now that I see it, kind of a distance from the the time of the awards, I think um, it really opening too close to the the Oscar season helped it way more um, to be able to be recognized for so many things um, that now that I see it, I'm kind of thinking it's a wonderful film, but I didn't see it as much for all those awards that was nominated or the, the one that it even won. Um, mm-hmm. It won the writing for adaptation, I think, but Correct. I, I, I really enjoyed it, but you know, there, it was okay. <laughs> okay. No, very good. Well done. Not yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Very well. Yeah. Yeah. I I enjoy Jojo Rabbit. I I think honestly yeah. the adapted screenplay uh was uh was deserving. necessary. Deserving. Yes. Deserving. Yeah. I I think it definitely deserved it. I think where I forgot what one for original screenplay, but I I think Parasite. that was under Parasite. that one for original screenplay. All right. I can't I can't fault it for that because I think I really wanted to go to Marriage Story. I think on us we we talked we talked yeah. a lot about Marriage Story. You know yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it's a great that's a great film. Oh yeah, that's a great film. Uh, I, I'm happy that Parasite won that award. Yeah. It should have won all the awards, but I am a little bitter. I'm like, eh, man, you could have gave one to Marriage Story. <laughs> I know, right? Just give him one. Just give him one. I mean, they, they did give him one. They gave one to Laura Dern, but that that doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not even the highlight of that film. Like, it's not. It's like not. she was. She. I mean, don't get me wrong. No, she was, she was great. Yeah. But out of all the things to highlight of that film, she is not the most highlight. I don't like ScarJo's performance. Adam yeah. Driver's performance. Yeah. 
the writing in that film. I mean, we can go on. You can, could, uh, you can listen have, to our past episode. You can yeah. Yeah, listen to our past episode and tell us what you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Scarlett Johansson, definitely. I mean, Correct. she was fantastic. And I think Laura Dern's character was very much like um, Big Little Lies character, became a lawyer. Um, so it was very much just like, oh, we love you in the miniseries. Uh, we love you in the HBO series. And you done great in this film. Combined That's, together. Yeah. 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 Be her, but here with a different yeah. name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was, that, was that the first time you watched Jojo Rabbit on the plane? Yeah, it was. I, I know it's not the best place to watch films, but I was just like, you know, there's like that film just stood out among the ones that I was just like scrolling through. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like mm, not Avengers, not Avengers Endgame, screw that <laughs> movie. It's the easiest way to watch when you're like, <laughs> have masks the entire time just sitting in the airplane seats and then just fogging up my glass the entire oh. time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, do you, uh, since we're on the topic, do you feel like Scarlett Joe, because I, I know at the time she was nominated for two yes. support. Yeah, so she was nominated for, Scarlett Johansson was nominated for both uh, Marriage Story and Jojo Rabbit. So do you, do you have a preference between the two? Because I think she was great in both. She was great in both. I really didn't think she needed to get the nomination for the Jojo Rabbit. Um, it like it was she was very good out of that film, but at the same time, when you have a film that is very much surrounding you know child actors, mm-hmm. sometimes some of these performances stand out way more than they should, just because sometimes you get a little bit frustrated with children acting in some things. Um, Mm. But so I think it just stood out because of it was among other people. That, okay, all right. That's all. Fair, fair yeah. enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, anything you got for us? Anything else? Um, I think that's that it comes to my mind, honestly. Okay. Right now. Yeah. Honestly, all right, Ernesto, let's let's go to go to you next. Well, you know, since I've been out, I know <laughs> it seems like I'm I'm gonna Matt seems recently I'm gonna get judged again because I got a lot on my list for this. No. Oh. This, <laughs> look, look, we, we call ourselves the box office bingers, and yet there is no box office to go to, but the binging is still there. The so, binging is still there, correct. The binging is still there, so you, you are doing your part as the yeah. binger. It's my job, right? It's your job, sure. damn it, yeah. yeah. All right, so I finished, uh, I was telling you, I watched Trigger Warning with Killer Mike, his like mini series about the black community, and I finished it, so it was, it was, it was some of that. Some of them were better. Some episodes are better than other. I would, um, the episode three, he took the Crips and the Bloods and tried to get them to create their own product that they could sell. Because what okay. he was noticing, he would go on Amazon. And he's like, why is it that I can go on Amazon and I can buy a Hell's Angels t-shirt? And it's, you know, they're legitimized. Like, that's bringing money into their gang. They still cause, they, they do cause violence. I mean, the amount between both of them probably varies. But he wanted to bring, give them something to work with um, and it was funny. He brings the drink to like a focus group and everybody starts drinking it. And once they tell them that it's from the Crips and the Bloods, they're like, you mean like the gang? <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, oh, no, you know, I could get shot just by holding this bottle. So then Killer Mike literally goes into the focus group and he starts, you know, he starts, he gives them, he educates them. He starts telling them, telling them their side. He brings the people from the gang in to talk to them. And it's funny, it's like a whole bunch of white guys, and then there's this one brown guy, and like he he just kept like he he was like, you know, you guys are judging us, and he that guy was the most offended, and he's like, 
for being the brownest guy in the room, you are clearly the most racist. But I'm going to come back to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, I think the most interesting part is just the way that Killer Mike, like, interacts with all these people and how he tries to get them to come together to 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 get her, to show his message. So, right. you know, three was about them starting business. Um, episode four, he tried to um, start his own religion, focusing primarily, like, on sleep sleep therapy and like writing on your dreams and like mm-hmm. trying to have you trying to manifest yourself into the best version of yourself. Mm. Episode five, he takes, um, he tries to target a whole new demographic by recruiting a bunch of politically diverse people to record a new anthem. And there's okay. a whole bunch of, and there's a lot of funny, crazy stuff that happens in between all these episodes. And then to round it out, episode six, he, he wants to succeed, by then he buys land and tries to form his own country. And so he like tries to get people together to talk about different politics and different things that's going to happen within the community. Like, obviously, like, it's just, it was just crazy to see, like, a whole different perspective, um, an alternative norm to what, we, what we're used to in our society. Mm-hmm. So that was a good watch. Um, it, it's, uh, based on what you've said, sorry, based on what you said, uh, it has me interested in watching it myself. Because uh, I've also never heard of it, but from what you said last week in the episode you were describing, it seems like something up my wheelhouse that I enjoy watching. It's definitely, it's definitely where, where did you watch it? Where is it on? On Netflix. Oh, okay. It's called Trigger Warning with, by Killer Trigger. Mike. Um, and then uh, we finished. We finally finished The Leftovers. Oh, how was that? Uh, Ali, have you watched that? No, but I have a friend who is who really loves that, and she made a wonderful video essay on it. So it really, I'm really interested in watching it. So yeah, for those who don't know, it's Damon Lindelof's predecessor to Watchmen, mm-hmm. and it's I, honestly, Matt, I think it's better than Watchmen. Just be, I don't like the way they took that content, but I know like comic book content and superhero stories are very near and dear to our heart. But I think collectively. Like as a whole story, like the leftovers is incredible. Obviously, right. it has great source material because it's based off of a book. Um, there's only three seasons. I will say that season one and two are definitely stronger than three. Um, mm. But but even that's not saying much because I still really enjoy season three, and they leave you at the end want more or less wanting more, but like being satisfied. You, satisfied with you're satisfied with the story you understand you understand why the characters took the directions why they took there was a few little minor like very minor plot holes that they left out from season one and two that i felt but um but that could be me just wanting more and not accepting the end result of that plot device you know yeah yeah like i really wanted them to explore this and this more but that mm-hmm. could just be my own bias of wanting more so mm-hmm. right yeah, so it's, yeah. Kind of, it's, it's kind of hard to gauge that um but all in all the story is like how to how to deal with acceptance like something happened in every obviously this thing happened what happens is like you know it's based off the bible two percent of the world's population disappears mm-hmm. and it's everybody dealing with the aftermath but there's so many different variations of people dealing with different things that you get to see, you really get to see their stories and how either they come to that acceptance or they're they're eaten alive by the, by what has mm-hmm. happened. So it's really it's great character, <clears throat> great character narrative on all on all ends. Like I really I couldn't rave about it enough. I would actually 
rewatch it. Like it's something that I could see myself in a couple years rewatching just to see what else I get from it. And the season oh, wow. three itself, like I think after season two, they kind of got into a hiatus and like people requested and really, you know, asked HBO to be able to have it revive it for season three. Isn't that true? Like I'm not that, that part, that part I'm not a hundred percent sure. I so and like, actually, I kind of want to look to see what the difference is. This makes me want to listen to, because uh, I, I don't read books, I listen to books yeah. on audio. Yeah. But this makes me want to, um, you know, read the source material yeah. to see either where they differ or how true to the source material it is, or to see if maybe the show started with the book and then expanded out to to give more narrative at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like um, about different type of like coping mechanism with something right. that is so you know, you cannot explain. So it's just something that you cannot explain. And it's something that we that we all deal with and we all mm-hmm. see other people deal with in different mm-hmm. aspects. Yeah. So it's interesting to see those 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 aspects um enjoyed. Matt, I think I think you would enjoy it, but you know, it's a pay attention show. You gotta turn everything else yeah, off. You gotta like sit down and you gotta watch, you gotta pay attention to the frame pretty much at all times. <laughs> Matt, you gotta stay off your phone, all right? Yes. Put it away. You gotta put your phone away. Put your you phone watch. away. <laughs> no, but, it's true, but it's like you really have to make that you really have to make that delineation between because there's certain shows, like kind of we talked about last week, like like that 70s show or or the office where you can have on in the background and you don't need to pay attention. But then you get a show like Watchmen. Or a show like The Leftovers and things of those nature, and like you have you have to pay attention because you're you're, you're missing something in the frame that could be hinting to something later. Like yeah. like like they don't waste time. Like every everything has purpose in what you're watching, which is what I love. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think a Westworld also has that same, same. mentality very, as well. Yeah, yeah very mm-hmm. same. Same. Uh, also, for the first time ever, and I think both of you are gonna yell at me. I watched the Django Unchained. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. <laughs> this movie came out like almost 10 years ago. I think it was 2012. But, uh, Eight years ago, uh, yeah. But yeah, because Netflix, it seems like Netflix released it for the whole black curators for recognizing black cinema thing. They're doing, they re-released it. It was my first time ever seeing it. I really enjoyed it. It was like like a black exploitation film like it was great yeah, it like was. yeah you get Django is like the heroine i loved tarantino's cameo and when yeah. they him up. <laughs> but it, if anything like obviously it's not a true story it shows like how barbaric the slave owners were in the south yeah like that's one thing i really think that the film highlighted you know you get samuel jackson he like tells a story about the black guys who get sent to this mining company and how when you die they just like throw you in a pit to never be seen again. I was like, right. that is, that's fucking horrific. But it was a, but it was a great revenge film. So I, so I definitely enjoyed that. I can definitely see myself rewatching that at any time. Like Jamie Foxx is incredible. Samuel Jackson is incredible. Um, who else? Um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, Leo. Leo was great in it. Um, a great film. Great film. Highly recommend. Oh yeah, no, that's for sure. I remember. I think that's one of the. I could be wrong on this. I don't really remember. That could be one of my first Tarantino films I actually watched. Okay. Whoa. Now yeah, I'm kind of screaming. You get a woe from me. The first, one have, first one I ever saw, I think, was Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Yeah, Pulp Fiction. So I went, so I think it was when 
What was the one before Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? What was the movie before that he did? Was uh, it Hateful, Eight? Hateful Eight. Yeah, okay. So when The Hateful Eight came out, a lot of buzz was around that, right? So I decided to, you know what? I I have been uneducated with Tarantino. Yeah. So I went down the, the rabbit hole of Tarantino, and I liked Reservoir Dogs. I, I liked that one. And then I couldn't understand the hype over Pulp Fiction. I did it. I didn't care for the movie after I watched it. I'm like, I don't understand it. No, nothing, nothing happened. Very similar to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You have nothing all this happened. Movie. I mean, a lot happened. Yes, but like, yeah, nothing... what are you fucking talking about? It's a lot. Did you a have lot. your phone on when you were watching it again? <laughs> I think so. You must have. There's no way. There, there's no way, Matthew. There's so I, much I, that happens. I actually prefer Jackie Brown more than I did uh, um, a Pulp Fiction. My I, my favorite is Inglorious Bastards. I need to give that one a rewatch. Yeah. And then Pulp Fiction for me. Um, I I, yeah, I need to give that one a rewatch. I think I saw that like I saw that when I was very young. I didn't understand what the hell was going on, and so I definitely I the only thing I remember about Inglorious Bastards was the opening sequence, and I, I was like mesmerized by it because yeah. it had, like so much tension there in the very beginning. So that one I definitely need to rewatch. But among my favorites from what I've seen. From Tarantino, for me, is definitely Django Unchained. Start to finish, it's a great movie. It's a long movie, but it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, in honor of Loving Day, which was on June twelfth, for those who know that. Did you watch that Loving? Covered, I I didn't watch the film. I watched the documentary on HBO, which I think mm -hmm. is just called Loving. Uh, for those who don't know, it's based off the case. In, I think it was nineteen sixty seven. Um, for Loving versus Virginia. Virginia which made it which made it legal for interracial marriages to happen, which obviously is near and dear to my heart because, you know, I'm a man of color and my wife is not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's just, it's crazy to think like, we don't, we don't live in Virginia, but this, this overturned this, that with this case happening overturned 25 cases, the latest being Alabama repealing the law in two, in the year 2000. Oh. Like yeah. that seems like a long time ago, but it's really not no. that long ago. Yeah, it, it's it's not that long ago. You're 20. right. So yeah. it was it was a great story. Um, I was watching it, and my mom was like, "Oh, I saw the movie. The movie was really good. Like I enjoyed the documentary, but I definitely think because it was because it it feels like it would fit better as a character narrative. I think I would enjoy the movie more than I enjoyed the documentary. The documentary okay. had a lot of great information." But it's like it's a character. It's a character love story. Like it's the perfect formula to be a to be a film. So I think I want to give the film a chance. So, you know, you get because that's what you want to see. You want to see how these people felt going mm -hmm. all these things that happened. But what right. is cool is that like there's one scene where they're talking about, you know, they're talking about like how the law is wrong and they're showing these shots from the judges and how mm -hmm. the judges were. Uh, you can see their face when they're talking about it being wrong and like like, man. Like Ali, I don't know. You know how you know how you see when somebody's racist. Like you can yeah. see it on their face almost. Yeah. Like, you see that you see that uncomfortable look on their face. So yeah. That, that was cool to see. Like even back then, like whoever shot this obviously was knowing what they were looking for. What they were right, right. It was exactly. perfectly framed, right? Like, like <laughs> shot. Just, look at that face. This man is a racist. Look at that uncomfortable face talking about black and white people being together. <laughs> but the film, I have to say, I watched it the year that it came. Um, and uh, the actress, I know she was nominated for the Oscars. I think her name is Ruth Nika. And 
my God, this film, it's very subtle. It's extremely, uh, it's not at all uh, melodramatic. It, you really see this couple not really, they just really wanted to live their daily life. They really didn't want to become the poster um, child for this, um, you know, the poster couple for interracial marriage. They really didn't have the, the energy or the time or, you know, the drive to be the, you know, the, the driving force for this. But somehow they have become. And it's just, you know, they have, and you see ACLU helping uh, with their case as well, the American Civil Liberties Union, to them to be able to kind of move forward with this case. And it's just so beautiful. The film is very beautiful. It's very, very subtle. Um, so it's a slow film and you really have to pay attention more to the complexities and the, just the, the quiet moments between the couple. Mm. Well, sounds like I'm definitely going to give it a watch. <laughs> I mean, what's what's really crazy about this case is that, like, they they had to spend eight years outside of their state because their state wouldn't allow them to live together while they were married. Wow. And then when they got back, the husband died nine years later. So it's like they didn't even really get to enjoy their time together. You right. know, and then the the... The mother, the the, the 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 wife, she she lived until 2008. She lived a full life mm-hmm. with her family and friends. But it's like, you know, yeah, he fought for this, and she got to enjoy it for a little bit. But it's like you didn't really, you didn't get it. You didn't get. The, I don't like. It feels wrong. Like it just, it doesn't feel right. But I guess you gotta, you gotta take it for what it is. You know, right. it doesn't feel like just they got their full justice. Like they were robbed of. They were they were apart longer than they were together married. Like that's so sad. <laughs> yeah. And they had to, and they they had to come back to um, Virginia because in order to um, create a certain like a breaking of the rule, in order to be able to have it in court, you know, they Correct. couldn't even live. Mm. So they were kind of being forced because of the legality of the situation to come in a place that is hostile for them knowingly, in order for this case to push forward. You know, they couldn't even like escape it. Yeah. They had to face it forward. And it's just so, I mean, it's just angers you when you watch it that, you know, this thing still was, you know, a certain law. And, uh, and it's sad because, like, if we, if me and my wife were there back then, like, we yeah. could have, we could, theoretically, we would have to deal with the same bullshit. Right. I mean, and even now, like, I mean, even now, every now and then we go out and we get the looks. And, yeah. you know, you just have to, you have, you take that shit with a grain of salt. You know, yeah, sad, sad situation. Um, also, I watched on HBO Dave Chappelle 846. I um, did too. You did watch that. It was, it wasn't even necessarily a comedy special, it was more of like a raw, real conversation about his ob- observations. The one joke I that which is actually a callback to one of his one uh, jokes in his previous specials when he talks about like jaw rule when like. Talks about Ja Rule talking about his feelings about 9 11. Yeah. You don't want to hear from fuck. Nobody cares what Ja Rule has to say. Why the fuck do y'all. He's like, the whole time he's like, why the fuck do you care what I have to say? Like, yeah. I'm a celebrity. Nobody, I don't, who cares what I have to say? He's like, I'm going to step back and I'm going to let the real heroes talk about it. But then he, in this time, Title 846, for those who don't know, that's the time that the officer held on George Floyd's neck before he was, before he was dead. Um, that it's just a raw, real conversation about 
everything that's happening in society and where and where his thoughts were on it. He's like, this is it. And it's and it's what's interesting is that it's released under Netflix's Netflix is a joke mm-hmm. uh, YouTube page. Mm. Yeah. This, yeah. But you, you said you saw it on HBO. No, 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 I'm sorry. It's on YouTube. It's, it's on, on Netflix's YouTube. YouTube, and I guess Netflix is a joke. That's their that's their their they're, home for for their comedy for their yes. comedy specials yeah. because their Instagram handle is also Netflix is a joke. Yes, yeah, that that definitely all their uh, stand up comedian uh, specials comedy that that's where that lives. Yeah. So if you want to, so if anybody's looking to watch it, it is available for free on their YouTube channel. It was it was great. It was a good watch. I really I really enjoyed it. But I, Dave Chappelle's. You know, he's one of my favorite comedians. So, and you know, speaking of like, you don't necessarily. I mean, we do not need celebrities. We're not waiting for celebrities to be coming over here and talking about these sinners. We've seen it twice happening in the recent time. One with the whole uh, Gal Gadot and the video. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God! And, you know, the, the most the, the eye roll of that kind of made my head hurt. It's, <laughs> it's just you. I, I do not want to get to that. And then recently we had like Sarah Paulson and, you know, um, Deborah Messing and all that, just having this whole kind of a whatever, like, you know, we see or like I, you know, I stand by this for the Black Lives Matter movement. But the way that they are doing it, like some of them, you could see that they did not even memorize what they were supposed to say on the screen. They literally right. are reading it off of the right. dad moment. It's just, it's so disingenuous that I just, like, I cannot, like, I couldn't even watch that video through the end. I was like, I'm done with these celebrities for now. It's almost like off-putting. It's so off Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Very true. Uh, So I got two more, Matt. All right. I got a long list. No, Uh, keep going, keep going. Also, in the background uh, for HBO Max, I put on the old school Looney Tunes cartoons. Mm. Because for me, for me, I wanted to put something on to distract my daughter. Because, you know, I'm, I can't go anywhere. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. she likes to watch on YouTube. She likes to watch the little baby bum videos. And there's, okay. I mean, there's only so much of that that I can take. <laughs> so so I decided, I'm like, I need to change it up a little bit. So, so I decided, and she actually kind of, you know, she was, she was, I mean, she's one. So let's, let I'll take that with a grain of salt. But she was right. semi-interested. Yeah. But it was cool. I enjoyed it because I used to watch them all the time when I was a kid. Right. And also on HBO Max, we finished Anna Kendrick's show, Love Life, which is, okay. man, I it's I really like wrote it off. And I was like, oh, it'll be cool to like have on or whatever. But I think the way they wrote this story is incredible. You know, there's one episode where they show her as a teenager and it's a flashback, excuse me, to 2006 when she's in high school. And that's a subtle nod because that's the year I graduated high school. So it was yeah. cool. It was cool for me to connect on a cultural level on what was happening in the episode. Um, I don't want to give too much away or too many of their aha moments, but I do feel like the show, like that's literally love life. It shows all aspects of love in in her life and in the people surrounding her. Like mm. it's just showing way more than I thought it was going that I was going to offer. And the way it's, I didn't even know this, but the show is an anthology series. Right. So next seat next season when it comes back you're going to experience another character's love life so i think that's the perfect model to keep this type of show going because season one is like literally like a book within itself like like you see her love story and you see the end of that story at the end of the first season we finish the first season we're hooked 
Like we're ready. And each episode is only 30 minutes. So we're hooked right to the end. They've are, it's uh, deadline. Uh, according to deadline.com, it's already been renewed for season two. So, oh, nice. That, is, I felt like well, uh, that show is already over. Like did they, because I know, I know like you were saying that they only released the first three episodes and then they're going to do it weekly. HBO Max hasn't been out for that long, right? <laughs> no, but I think what I think, because me and my wife were literally. two episodes maybe? What I think, um, I think they did that. I think they released like every, every week, they probably dropped three episodes. Oh, because, okay. Because we hadn't watched in a few weeks. So I was like, oh, maybe we got like one or two and we go back. It's like, oh shit. The whole season's there. <laughs> oh, look at that. Thanks, HBO. <laughs> so it's only it's only ten episodes, so it's about five. It's about a five-hour watch. Yeah. But it was it was great. Highly, highly recommend. I'll definitely um, want to check that. Like in HBO Max, the the what really interested me was their um, Turner Classic Movies um, collection. That and that that was the place that I was putting a lot on my list. But I'll definitely put that on my list too. And I definitely feel like I just think HBO Max. Like, I know it's the higher price, but I definitely feel like they have um, a lot to offer. Like, mm-hmm. there's just so much content on there. Like, Cartoon Network, Adult right. Swim. They've even, I saw now they have some anime shit on there. Mm-hmm. Like, they've got, it's just the Turner Classic Movies, Doctor Who's on there, Friends is on there, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Like, there's a lot. There's a lot. To and what with. I love yeah. <laughs> is that they have this cat, like, you can go on the side and you can see what is leaving. So that you can get on it, you know, faster. Like it's leaving July 1st. And you can also go to a place that it says coming soon. So you can also have a right. head start and know which one is coming. It's a perfect. Like, I love that. And Matt, and I was mentioning to you before, like, I really enjoy like that. Whoever developed the app and the app layout did an incredible job. Like yeah. you open it up. Everybody ha- can have their own profiles, which is great because, you know, they want to start suggesting your kind of like Netflix. They want to use yeah. They want to use that AI to start suggesting stuff to you, but you can also mark stuff on your series, and everything is, everything is like perfectly categorized, categorized out. Very, it's just really well done. So well, yeah. I feel like when you open the app, like all right, I'm getting my money. Like you open it, and you see you're getting your money's worth. Money's worth, yeah. Uh, I haven't been exploring on the service, so I'm glad you have. Uh, definitely, when I was looking at all the new content they were coming out with, Love Life was definitely like number one on my list. I'm like, this seems like something I could be interested in. So I'm glad to hear that it's a. It's, I think you. Would, I think good. you would really, really enjoy. It. And the only fun. thing, the only thing that is bothering me is that they haven't yet even put it on Roku. Roku and yeah. Amazon Fire TV, like they they don't have it on their like LG TV does not at all have it. You only have it on like Samsung TVs uh, that as a built-in app on TV. Mm-hmm. And it just bothers me. It's like, you know, good point. you should be putting, Roku is about 40 to 44% of the people who use streaming use it on mm. their Roku. So there you really, really do not have your majority of your chunk of your, um, you know, market. That is a great point because yeah. at first when I go to watch it, I mean, not not for nothing. I have a TCL TV, and yeah. the TCL is a Roku TV. Okay, so right. when, yeah. you, when you turn on the TV, it's the Roku interface, yeah. and it's still HBO now. And actually in my room, I have the Fire Stick. So we yeah. have to pull up HBO Max specifically on the PlayStation. Yeah. Well, yeah. it, it, it's funny because, like, you have, you know, HBO has been around for so many years. You would think by now that they would have this locked down, especially if they're on other devices, to have it ready to go. Like, I have a Vizio TV, and, like, 
maybe not even a week later, Disney Plus was on there. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, great. I don't have to like go to my PlayStation or just, or cast it on my phone. But now the only way I could cast HBO Max is on my phone. I got to cast it through there. So, I mean, you've been a lot longer. You've been around a lot longer than than Disney Plus has. You would think mm-hmm. that you would have a, a better maybe either relationship or definitely a better structure of making sure that your app is available everywhere and not just in a, in a select few places. Yeah. And they just got rid of Go, right? It's not yeah. just HBO. Uh, was yeah, just... all these renaming. like It's like three yeah, different I... apps for the same service. <laughs> <laughs> I, you're right. I forgot to mention that in our news part. Um, but yeah, HBO, I think at the end of the month, HBO Go is leaving. HBO Now is just turning into HBO. So by the end of all this, you would have HBO and HBO Max. And next week, they're going to announce a different name. <laughs> HBO Max Plus. <laughs> HBO Who? <laughs> uh, all right, man. I think that's that's besides our review. That's all I got. What you got? All, you got? all right. So, uh, as I teased earlier, so I I've been pretty busy this week. Not much I've been watching aside from the two things we were reviewing. Um, I was only able to get one thing off the list, and so I I uh, I decided to participate in the home premiere um, experience. Mm-hmm. So for $20 and <laughs> for a 48-hour period, if you did the math, that's about three months worth of Disney+, Plus, about a month and a half worth of Netflix, uh, a whole month of AMC A-list. Definitely if I went to go to Block, uh, Best Buy, Blockbuster, if I went to Best Buy and bought a, you know, a nice Blu-ray of a movie I really enjoyed, um, that's around 20 bucks or so. Uh, but I, I rented a movie for $20. It, it's and, and Megan might be yelling at me outside. We, technically, in some way, we did split it. But, yeah, you know, it's still 20 bucks invested into the to the to the rental. Uh, but we rented The King of Staten Island, the new Pete Davidson oh, yeah. movie. And, and yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I liked it. Don't get me wrong. I, I, do, do I think any movie do I think any movie I would have been satisfied by spending $20 to <laughs> rent the movie? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think I would have been satisfied at any at any movie unless it was Tenant. And if Tenant decided to do this model, I'm like, I'm all in. I'll buy yeah. I'll buy twenty of them. Um, <laughs> um, but you know, Megan really wanted to watch The King of Staten Island. She she likes Pete Davidson and she she thought the story was gonna be good. And I was like, All right, if if we're gonna do this, I guess this out of all the movies to choose from, this is the one I can see myself maybe enjoying the most and for the most part it it was actually a really thought-provoking film uh it's funny enough it's directed by uh Judd Apatow so you know you know his work it's like a hit or miss and I feel like this is like maybe right in the middle of that it's mm-hmm. like I wouldn't say it was like a huge success but I did see myself enjoying what I was seeing and and it had a lot to do with Pete Davidson himself he's good at playing himself as you know if you've seen him in other movies he plays himself at everything but in this particular sense, it was refreshing to see him in a movie that that yes, he was playing himself, but in a very compelling way. You can you can definitely feel this movie was very personal. Obviously, I think he had a hand in writing the script. This movie is loosely based on his life. Um, I think uh, some of the aspects were true, but I think that from what I was reading from one of the reviews or like talking about the movie was that this is like. The, the whole story about this, like, this is a version of his life if he didn't get into comedy. So if he continued to grow up in Staten Island, which I believe he still does live there, um, but if he didn't go down the road of comedy, where did he see his life going in, in this realm? And so that's kind of 
interesting. Like here's an alternative life that I depicted for myself. Um, and, and some parts it's, 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 it could be sad. Some parts were funny, like his jokes were in there and it, it didn't feel like he was trying to be funny. It's just kind of like how all of us are talking and you think of a joke and you say it right away and it just, it was good for the moment. And that's mm-hmm. where all of his jokes were. I feel like it was good for the moment of, of where we're in there. And I felt like the, they, they weren't written. I felt like it was just like, uh, what, what do you call it? Um, improv. And, you know, obviously he works for yeah. SNL, so that makes a lot of sense if none of his jokes were written and they were just on the fly. He had a joke coming up and then there you go. Um, so it has a lot of heart. Uh, you're kind of rooting for him a little bit, even though you feel like he's destructing. He's like a very destructive person. Like if you see things uh, like going right, he would do something maybe unknowingly to make it worse. And then he kind of just sprawls him down into another uh, series of events. The movie's a little long. It's about it's 136 minutes, or it's close to an hour and a half. Um, and that's so, a long film. <laughs> I'm sorry, two and a half hours. It's, it's oh, okay. I, I'm mistaken. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, so like, I feel like some parts dra- like uh, dragged out a little bit, uh, but I still feel like it's worth the ride because at the end of the day, especially in the third act of the movie, you kind of see him getting to like a turning point, and I feel like the movie is all about second chances, and you can tell that he is trying to do better and maybe go down different routes, but like he can't force himself to do that. He's always taking the easy route out or like the most irresponsible route because that's what he knows. And like other people are telling him, you should go to college. You should do this. You should do that. What is your plan for your future? And he's like, I'm good where I am. I don't have a plan. And then like, there was a moment where like, you know, kind of things take a turn. And then he was like, well, you don't have a plan. What are you going to do now? And it kind of answers a lot of those questions. And by the end of it all, you kind of see that it's just like it. They kind of give you like they don't really answer any questions. It's kind of just like, you know, a life story uh, of like this particular part of his life story. And by the end of it, you can tell that there is like a slight turn. Like you see the direction that it could be improving for himself or you can at least tell that he is trying to be a better person than where he was throughout this whole movie. So with that, I felt that it was very relatable um, it also kind of answers the question, what if you, what if you never left your hometown? Um, you know, where, where do you sell, where do you see yourself if you stayed where you were? Like, you know, everything is comfortable. You've been living there your whole life. And if you never moved or tried to experience new things and you're kind of just stuck where you are, how would your life be like? And this is kind of like the, that's kind of what I took away from the film. So, uh, overall I thought it was, I thought it was good. It, will you, would, do you need to spend $20 to rent it? No. You don't have to. <laughs> um, if, if uh, excuse me, if it ends up going into theaters, and yeah, go watch in the theaters. I think it's great. If it ends up, you know, becoming like five dollars to rent on 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 digital as well, do one of those. Uh, but I mean, overall, and you know, Megan was happy, so that's a plus that she, you know, she mm-hmm. liked the movie. So you know, twenty bucks, you got to see a movie, and everyone's in the house is happy, then you know, everything is all right for me. Uh, so yeah. Is it very similar to like Honey Boy? That's what it sounds like. Yeah, you know, Honey, kind of like a almost like I mean, a vague retelling of his life. Mm-hmm. I would say that Honey Boy is a little bit more serious and like a very drama heavy Honey Boy <laughs> was, because uh, like I felt like with Honey Boy you're always like feeling sorry for the character, um, and in this case with with Pete Davidson and 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 King of Staten Island, I don't. There's some moments where I felt sorry for him, but there were other moments like well you you're doing it to yourself, and also 
he's also doing it. There's some like a lot of funny moments in there as well where I like legit laughed. And like, again, I feel like they were just like genuine jokes. It wasn't really forced comedy. And mm-hmm. I don't, I honestly don't feel like they expected you to laugh at those moments. They were just kind of like funny situations that made me laugh. So I think overall, this is probably the best work I've ever seen P Davidson do. So a good, a good, con- uh, good, uh, compliment to his acting skills. But at the end of the day, he is still playing himself. himself. <laughs> so I don't know how much I can give him credit for. But at least, if anything, there's like this is a good movie for you. And at least it can, I, at least I can see that you can do somewhat of a drama, even though you're still playing yourself and you're kind of thinking this is a joke as well. So I know that was my takeaway from the movie. I'm guessing he's gonna also play himself in the Suicide Squad too, and his character is gonna die soon. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. No, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that was the only thing I was able to get in. So, uh, yeah. And then over that, we have our review for this week. So, anything else to mention before we continue? Nope. That was all of it? Awesome. All right. So, now we're going to review The Five Bloods. It's a new movie that just released on Netflix, directed by um, uh, Spike Lee. And so, Ali, we're going to start with you. What did you feel? How was your thoughts on Five Bloods? This is a spoiler review, by the way. So, yeah. uh, you know, go ahead and spoil the movie. You you okay. will been Okay, so we can spoil it. Uh, yeah. So as you mentioned, it's the new, the newest uh, Spike Lee joint, um, the Five Blood, and the film really is so interestingly like um, relevant to today's, um, you know, as we are kind of navigating this um, movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, and also this um, the, the protest against the, the social injustice and racism within our system. So this film really is relevant within that. Um, Very relevant. And, and all of these kind of like a wartime, like wet, veterans, um, like a Vietnam veterans are going back to Vietnam in order to retrieve this kind of a treasure that they have um, kind of buried uh, in order to kind of find it back and also visit um, the remains of one of their um, members as they call Sorry. each other bloods. Um, so there were five, but now there are four of them that are going back. One thing that I really, really, like, it just stood out so strongly for me was um, Ed Paul's character, uh, played by uh, Delroy Lindo. He gives such an amazing performance. Um, and I, I would absolutely think he will get nominated um, once with all the Oscars happen. Um, and it was just so brilliant. And he's the character that early in the film, uh, because of his uh, political affiliation, I think as a viewer, as someone, um, I was not really rooting for him. I was not really um, associating with him just because of his political affiliation, kind of being like a Trump supporter and also the way that he interacts with a lot of people in uh, Vietnam. But you later on, you get the chance of knowing him a little bit more as the film goes on and see him as being a hurt, you know, understanding that hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. And you see how much, you know, PTSD is really playing a part in a lot of the decisions that he makes, you know. And obviously, it wouldn't be a Spike Lee film without it breaking the fourth wall. Um, And But this one, interestingly, happens so later in film. Um, It happens, you know, more than halfway through the film. And it is for the character of Paul, and he looks um, into the camera and he really, right after what he does that you as a viewer are so unsettled with, 
how he kind of leaves his son um, kind of bleeding in a place and leaves his group um, and just taking his own share of the treasure and just going on uh, on his own route and uh, and dying, if dying or surviving on his own terms. But now you get the chance of actually like understanding him a little bit more. You don't have to necessarily agree with his decision, but you get the chance of sympathy with him. And I absolutely love the way that um, Spike Lee did that. Um, and the film is at certain points funny, at certain points really gruesome that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised for some people at certain points to really not be able to go for work um, just because not only the things that are happening within the the story, but also the, the archival footage and some things that it shows for um, different times of the war and how the, the, the gruesome um, murders and all the atrocities that happen in war. So I, I would understand that if some people um, have kind of a hard time. Uh, the, the peak of the climax and the peak of the interest within the film really happens in the middle in the second act. And it kind of... Uh, dwindles in the third act um, and it becomes a little bit kind of predictable with within the genre films of the war um, but but still you kind of leave with more than what you kind of um, expected so I really highly recommend the film Ernesto? No, no yeah I mean you hit, a, you hit a lot of good points you know in the Vietnam War like in the background, you're thinking about everything that's happened today. Even like when they open the film and you have all those clips and they're talking about police brutality and the treatment of black Americans. It's like, wow, is this from today or is this yeah. from, or is this from then? No, I mean, really, um, what really stuck out is some of the photos. There's that one scene when that, um, the Viet, one of the Viet Congs, they come up to them and they intercept them when they have the gold. And he's like, you murdered my father. And the one that hit me the hardest, and he goes, you killed the babies. And if you know, like, to me, it just seems like they held on that one photo of that shot up baby for, like, mm -hmm. longer than everything else was, like, a quick yeah. flash. And this one was, like, this actually happened. Let's show you and analyze this photo for a couple seconds. And to me, mm -hmm. like, like, out of everything, like, that one, that one hit, that part hit home for me. I was, like, just, that was a very gruesome photo. Like, I can handle a lot, but that was a... A gruesome photo to hold on to for a while. I did think, I mean, the I liked the, I really loved all the archival footage and how they put it in there to give you a feeling of where they were going with the story. Um, but to me, the story got really interesting. Obviously, once they got the gold and they hit that minefield. Once they hit the mm -hmm. minefield, I was like, "What?" what? <laughs> he steps back and he fucking just. Boom! Like everything, like everything's gone. And what and, you know to highlight how Delroy's PT, how he played up the PTSD. Look at the scene when his son steps on the minefield and how he was acting. He's mm -hmm. like, "Oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. It wasn't anything." It's like, "No, your son's about to get his fucking legs <laughs> pulled." <laughs> yeah, yeah. In just the way they were treating, just the way they were treating the people, the people who were helping them, mm -hmm. and they captured them. Um, I mean, yeah, I thought the movie the movie was great. That scene you mentioned where he's uh, where he's talking to the fourth wall, I actually felt like he wasn't talking to us. I kind of felt like he was talking to Norman. Uh, yeah, he was talking to Chadwick Boseman's character, and you know, to think about, he had to live with the guilt of knowing that he killed him for his whole life. So mm -hmm. not only dealing with the war, but he also killed 
their squad leader. This is their. This was like their. Like it almost felt like they looked at him like a messiah. Like they. Yeah. Like, like mm-hmm. he helped. Like without them, they couldn't. They couldn't survive. You know. Um. But yeah. More. More or less. Also, I found this article on. Uh, on Newsweek. On I'm sorry. On the New York Times. That it's like a picture. I'm gonna link it in the description. Mm-hmm. It's a glossary of like all the yeah. all the film, all everything they touched on, all the little things they added, mm-hmm. like the son, him wearing the Morehouse College um, mm-hmm. hat. That's a callback to Spike Lee's college, to where he graduated. Oh, okay. So I thought that was pretty cool. There's a there's a bunch of different one. Um, you know, the clip from Muhammad Ali. You yeah. know, it it goes into detail about all the all the little things that they mentioned in the film. So, like, if you really want a better understanding, I wish – I almost wished I would have read this article and then watched the film. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, One thing that uh, I don't know, like, I really enjoyed was how um, the film was using uh, different aspect ratios um, yes. and also yeah, yeah. different formats. Like, you know, when, when they go in the previous and the kind of flashbacks – you have the film in four by three and with also it seemed like it was shot kind of either on 16 millimeter or 35, but with very heavily um, kind of a um, post in order to make it looks like 16, but I think it was also shot on 16 and this just beautiful, the way that the grains and I, I just love that kind of a visual. But then when you go to the, the actual time and you see it in a widescreen and then when you go to like the, they return to the um the jungle the the vietnam jungles and then it becomes more of like a cinema scopes and even more which i think if we were to be able to watch this film in an actual movie theater that would have been such a like impactful yeah, a point. way of like because it really moved the um the aspect ratio just slightly and you would see that transition in a very, very uh, effective way. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I felt, I, you know what, it's, it's one of those movies that I need to think about mm-hmm. uh, because like, I wasn't sure how I felt about the movie after I finished watching it because there's, there's a lot to unpack here. And, and I think that's what Spike Lee does best because he gives you a film and he puts everything out there. There's so much passion and like, you can tell he wants to, to kind of give you everything like this, he's honing down this certain message. And then you kind of get back. I'm like, wow, I just, I just watched a lot, a lot just happened here. I need to process this. And like my first thoughts, as soon as the movie was over was that like, for some reason, this movie wasn't for me. It's like, I, I didn't quite, uh, I don't want to say yeah. I didn't understand it, but I didn't, I don't want to say connect either, but it was just like, maybe like, I think for me, the, the pacing and the tone was a little off. And I guess the word we use is like a little unsettling, but also that's the point. That was the point of all this. He, he, I think th- these were men on purpose to be done on purpose. And so like, and so like, and, and you, you mentioned how, uh, what was it? His name was Paul, correct? Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Like he, he was breaking the fourth wall. He was like really talking to the audience at that moment where he, toward the end where he's like really like yelling at the camera. Mm-hmm. And it was it was such a powerful scene. And with that, it was predicated through everything else that was happening throughout the movie. And I honestly thought that, like, his character was just going crazy and obviously because of his PTSD. But it really hit at that moment. And then for me, like, everything kind of clicked once they put showed you that flashback of him actually killing his his first mate officer. I'm like, mm-hmm. I wow, I like like I and some parts I'm like, I really don't like you. But then <laughs> now. You go from like I really don't like you to now I'm really sympathizing for you, 
because you've been de- like you said, you were dealing with this your whole life. And now almost if you want to go rewatch this and see this through a different perspective, you kind of get it. You kind of yeah. get where this is coming from. The like or Ali, like you were saying, the uh, this movie was is very, very relevant to today. And Ernesto, you said, like, you know, is this footage from last week or a couple years ago? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's it's it was some of the parts were like it was it was tough to watch. But again, that's the whole point. Um, there were some parts where I felt like, you know, this is a long movie. We're running on two and a half hours here. And so when they found the gold and they found the body, I'm like, um, we still got another hour and a half of this movie, if not <laughs> a little bit under. Like, I, I, honestly, I, I didn't know where we were going. I thought that the focus of this movie was to find the gold and was to find the body. And then I was a little bit confused because they did say that they were going to they wanted to retrieve the body and send it home. But they left the body there. Like they didn't try to pick that up. Did they know that they were coming back for it? I'm assuming that was a yes, because we see the body then eventually come back to America. Yeah, yeah a lot yeah. of a lot of those that you, the, a lot of the scenes and things that you see in the resolution of like what happened to the money, um, like how it was distributed or right, the right. Fi- the fact that you get the body back. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of that really is not clearly touched upon. Uh, mm-hmm. That also made me kind of like. I had to actively think, okay, so this happened in order for this to happen. Right, right. So it was, you know, from that really when it went to the, like a, I guess an epilogue at the end, you are made to really actively trying to figure out, which I, that's why I think like the, the third act and also the, the resolution was a little bit um, not necessarily as effective as it was in the first two acts for me. That that's fair. Um, Ernesto, you you kind of hinted at it as well. Um, the line, the landmine scene was honestly, I wouldn't say that I was like I was trying to understand where this movie was going for the first you know hour and a bit because I feel like they were giving you a lot of information. You kind of get the gist of it, and then like we found the gold in the body. I'm like, well, where where are we going with this? And then like really when like because we had the scene earlier in the movie where the son is talking to the people who have like i don't know where they were from i think from france and their job is to try to find old landmines and defuse yeah. them i believe that's what it was and then now fast forward all the way to midway through the movie and you have one of the guys like holding the brick and he's yelling and he's going back and I, like as as soon right before it happened i was like this guy's going to die like <laughs> i like i just i just like everything was presenting in that way and for some reason i thought because like right before that that scene like they show like people with guns like looking at them find the treasure so i thought he was just gonna get shot or a headshot and then and then there was a moment where i'm like oh damn like something something bad's gonna happen to him and then boom he just exploded and i was like oh shit (laughs) that that just happened and then they showed you it like they showed you him on the ground with with no limbs it was that was a very graphic (laughs) to have on there and then the only thing I had an issue with that, because honestly, that was like, oh, OK, we, we, we're we going somewhere with this now. Um, and I felt like they didn't give that moment enough time to breathe because instantly you had the sun step on the landmine. Another one. Yeah. And you're like, oh, damn, like like we're not even like focusing on his death right now. We got we got your son who is alive, who who needs to do that. That was a great way. You know, like they really played that scene very well. Of Like you're going to hold on to this rope. We're all going to pull. You're going to step here. And like on the edge of my seat, I'm like, this dude is going to die. <laughs> I still have no idea how it worked. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, no idea how it worked. 
But then it's also like you were saying, it's heartbreaking when a couple minutes later, he ends up leaving his son. You did all that work to save him yeah. only to let him die. Like, look, this isn't working for me right now. It was working for me about two hours ago, <laughs> yeah. but it's not working for me right now. So I'm going to leave your ass dead and I'm going to do my own thing. And, and that is heartbreaking to see. Um, and, and so, yeah. And then there's also the movie kind of turned into greed a little bit, like in, in a sense. It's like, you know, they. So if I'm understanding this correctly, they, the only reason why they went back to Vietnam, because there was a mudslide that they felt like they were able to find the body and the treasure a lot easier. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah. It like uncut the mudslide uncovered some, some of their landmarkings, like it covered the crash site of the Airplane, plane. So, yeah. so they figured from the plane, they could probably backtrack and find and find, uh, find what they were looking for. Right. And so with that, I honestly thought that that's what the whole movie was going to be about. And like toward the end, we were going to have, this resolution of them finding everything they were looking for. But because they did that at the very, probably the middle of it, that I was kind of like thinking to myself, like what else, what, what, what now, what, what is this movie? And we caught something completely different. And I, I'm almost agreeing with you, Ali, that the third act did kind of fall short at parts because I feel like it was like an all out brawl. And I, and I, and I, I, I don't fully understand why. And I'm not sure if any of you can explain that to me of why they ended up going down that route of like, we need this like showdown at the end of it all. I don't know, but I think it kind of hints to what you were talking about with greed. Like, because at the end, like it felt very like Indiana Jones ish at the end, like an all out shootout with the bad guy. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's like, I don't, it felt like it was just a way to wrap up the film. Like, all right, they got this gold. They got to deal with this guy. Uh, I guess we're going to have a shootout and he's going to die. <laughs> right. Right. And it, it, I, I oh, think no. I saw it. I, I'm sorry to break you, no, but good, good. I, it, it's kind of to in, in a lot of films. Whenever they deal with things of uh, greed, it's always about greed does not play, does not pay, um, and you know at the end. Um, so it was really going with that. So that was that predictability that I knew things are going to be bad for them. Just yeah. going for that greed is going to be bad for everybody and at the same time you also have another kind of a similar kind of a um trope of a soldier never leaves a battlefield so like right. the, the fact that you know they left and the fact that they came back meant that you know they're not going to go back anymore um they cannot you know uh, be able to get out of this um safely and now they're going to have to do another war another battle so all of that for me, like I really predicted um, that brawl to happen. I really predicted this, the fact that they found the goal to break these people's friendship and in some uh, scenarios, even like family ties. So yeah. I, I knew that this was going to be. And another thing that was really helping with this predictability of that was the music right from the beginning. Mm. I mean, the music for me really in a lot of times was just so grandiose, even at the times that it wasn't, the, the scene that you're watching is not so much. And it, again, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like the Indiana Jones films, the music yeah. itself. So I was just like, okay, so they're really going for that, but even before we even get to that. So that music really got me way ready for this brawl to happen. So by the time that I got to the brawl, for me, I was just like, okay, so now that this person shoots this, you know, gets into this kind of a battle, 
somebody else is going to come and shoot this person. Like, I, I could connect the dots by the right. end. Uh, you know, as we're talking, it kind of made me think about it. You know, all these people and, and the whole theme of the movie was like, you know, uh, black Americans fighting a war that they did not reap the benefits from at the end of this war, the Vietnam War. And so I feel like in some cases, that's what happened in this film as well. They were they were trying to find the gold to at, at, at some point it was for greed because they were going to keep it for themselves, even though Norman wanted to spread the wealth in in his community mm -hmm. and then eventually because of that they end up still dying in a war that necessarily wasn't theirs but the money was spread out throughout the community and for a well-being even if they didn't want to so they still died fighting the same fight they did today as if they were back then but in this time almost a happier ending because the money is now being spread out through that community and of where mm -hmm. they wanted to. So maybe there was a sentiment there. I just thought of this right today just as yeah. we were having this conversation. So maybe that's, you know, maybe some of the lines of that movie it was trying to yeah. per se. But um, other than that, anything else you wanted to mention before we move on? I wanted to say that one thing that kind of, you know, aside from the music, you know, really, mm -hmm. you know, standing out. One thing was the titles on the screen um, throughout the film where it says where things are, like the, the locations. Yes. Um, and as well as like when uh, they're like they're speaking Vietnamese, that really the, the title design for those felt a little bit sloppy in the way mm. that they come on screen. Like, you know, when you have a screen, somebody talking and then you have a multiple ex exposure of the, the uh, kind of scenery and archival footage, you don't necessarily have to give that the place and right after one another and the way that they would transition to one another kind of right. like took me out. And as well as like, you know, when they're speaking like the, um, in Vietnamese, the, the subtitles of that is like the way that you write, um, a title for a film. Like it's kind of like a, the first mm. letter is capitalized. Like in the rest are, you know, underscore the first letter is capitalized no matter where that word was in the middle of a sentence. So that was bothering me, you know. Mm. I don't know if it's just me and my OCD that I was just like, oh. <laughs> oh. It's like nails on a chalkboard, dude. Yeah. 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 Just like, ah. <laughs> I, I was doing some digging after I was I finished watching this movie, as as you do. Like some some yeah. movies, like you just it just really hits you, and like you just want to kind of see not like wherever other people's heads at, where they were coming from, and also like you know, maybe did I miss something? And as I was reading through, there's one that kind of hit me the most. And I feel like this is like, uh, like I didn't write this. I'm gonna, about to read it to you, but I thought this was a good way that kind of expressed what I felt from it. And it says, uh, if you are expecting the Five Bloods to be a movie with a sense of a story with the beginning, middle, and end, it might not work for you. I'm not sure myself if it worked for me, but I didn't feel like the movie should be ignored either. It, it's like a pile of, of political, emotional, and historical statements, not necessarily linked in one single bu uh, bundle. At times it ends up being like a Tarantino-like mess, but with relevance. It's surely timely, it's heavily political loaded, politically loaded, and it's emotional and intense, angered, but also ironically, I also ironical and lighthearted at moments. Maybe not to be judged, let alone rated, but just to be observed. And, and that's, to me, that was like, 
I, that's kind of like how I felt about the film. I thought that was a good way of describing at least like my, my thoughts and some of some somebody else's words. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, so that was kind of like my my whole gist of the movie itself. But it was I do recommend. I think we can all agree we did, we recommend people to watch this movie. Absolutely. I think oh, absolutely. Definitely, yeah. Absolutely. Definitely I, I think to watch. I definitely for sure. Um, all right. So with that, I think we're going to move on. Anything else to say? I think we're good with that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So now we're going to move on. We haven't done one of these in a while, so with Ali coming on, it's a perfect time to uh, to showcase. <laughs> the foreigner is coming. The foreigner yeah. is coming. <laughs> um, uh, yes, so uh, it's a good time to showcase our foreign film of the month. And and Ali, you actually gave me a list. You're like, hey, I got, I already got a list for you. And so I looked down your list, and one that 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 got my attention was a movie called Burning. It's a Korean film, correct? And it was, I don't want to butcher this guy. 2018, directed by Chang Dong Lee. I think so that's. It's Lee Chang Dong. Um, so last okay. names normally is, give, like you say it at the beginning, normally with oh, like, see, a I lot see. of Asian names. Yeah. Gotcha. So the last uh, name you, we would, we would say the Lee did this when we are saying just the last name. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so he directed the movie, a movie called Burning. It is available on Netflix. And so Ali, we're again, we're going to start with you. What are your thoughts on, on Burning? So Burning, um, I have to say directed uh, by, uh, Lee Chang Dong and the way that, um, you know, pun intended is a slow burn, um, uh, and burning and it is two hour and 30 uh, minutes uh, the story kind of uh, revolves around Jiang Su, a, a working class young man um, who is really um, just getting by life because of the, the economic class that he's in. Um, he meets um, one of the very, very um, people that he knew from the early childhood, um, Hami, and they together kind of have this a little bit of a quick, brief uh, romance. Mm -hmm. And through her, um, he gets to know um, this person named Ben, played by Stephen Yeun, uh, who a lot of people recognize from Walking Dead. Yeah. And the way that kind of... And ben is a person that really belongs to this really high economic class, and, and he's a character of mystery the entire time. And how uh, Jiang Su kind of navigates um, through uh, this kind of a meetings and be able to follow along this mystery um, that is caused by, either caused by Ben, we don't know necessarily, and we are just following this kind of a perhaps a, either a disappearance or a, a certain murder um, that has occurred. And Jiang Su cannot get this out of his head, so he really goes along to follow Ben in order to figure out what happened to Hami. Um, so the film, again, like I said, is a slow burn, but it it is not so much about it's uh, very much a point A to point B to point C, but so much about how it is um, talking about um, society and class. Um, I think similarly to another film that we saw from um, South Korea, Parasite. And so it's a it's a wonderful film. I really suggest to people. I do recommend to people to see it, but 
do know that you are watching it and you should pay attention to also the what they're saying as well like you know you put the phone away when you're watching it so. <laughs> yeah well not only so that <laughs> yeah not saying not only that because you also have to read what they're saying yes <laughs> yeah yes. you have to do the game you have to dance <laughs> yes exactly um ernesto where, where are your thoughts on this I really, really enjoyed it. I didn't get so much of the socio-economical. I got a, I got a little bit of that. What I really got from it was, um, how do you pronounce her name? Hing, Hing Mi, Hami, the girl. Yeah. Hami. So with her, with yeah, with her, like I felt like she was trying to get back at Jung Soo because you know, in the when you know one of the one of the things she says to him in the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. is like, you saw me. And you you called me ugly, and yeah. you know I you know she really took it to heart probably because she really liked him, and then she went as far as even getting plastic surgery. Which looking back, I don't know if that's if that's true or not because then you have that follow up scene where mm-hmm. he's at I guess their family's restaurant, and he's mm-hmm. you know they say well well she likes to tell she likes to tell a lot of stories yeah because he's still trying to figure out the whole well story you know if she fell down the well and he's the one. Who would find her? I mean, don't you think that would be something that you would remember if you were right. somebody from a exactly? <laughs> yeah. But I like it. Almost felt like she did all this to make him go crazy, you know, with the whole thing with the cat. Even the small things like the cat. She told him there was a cat. He never saw the cat. But then later on in the film, you see the cat, a cat at Ben's house who gets out. And the only way he's able to get the cat is calling, calling the cat the by name. the name. Yeah. He's yeah. calling the name at that. Which I thought this film did a really good job of like putting little hints that you didn't know were important in the beginning, but if you were paying attention, it would pay off. It pays off in the yeah. end. Yeah. So I think that's like even though this move this film was two and a half hours, it really it really shined in those aspects. To, kind of very similar to how how um Parasite is. I felt very <laughs> I felt very similar Parasite vibes. So maybe I think if I were to rewatch it, maybe I were to get more of those tones that you were talking about, Ali. Um, I, oh, sorry, you were. No, no, go ahead. Now I was yeah. going to throw it to you, actually. <laughs> yeah, no. So one thing that I, for me, like, it stands out. The thing is, like, for the characters like Jiang Su and Ha Mi um, that belong to the working class, you get introduced to them before you even know their name. You get introduced to them through what they do as a labor. Yeah. And you see Jiang Su kind of like, uh, you know, delivering something. And you see Hami, you know, working in this job that she finds fun, not necessarily. So you have uh, someone like Jiang Su that is, um, he has aspirations, but he really clearly is afraid or like he does not um, follow up with that because he doesn't see a way out of what he is in like the the way that his work situation is so he really belongs to this class and even though he has the education for writing he really doesn't move forward and you have Hami who is someone who just goes from this to another thing uh, just because it's fun for her um, and is really interested in um, kind of disappearing and instead of facing some um, consequences, just trying to run away from different things. You know, when you meet the family, they say that, oh, she just goes away um, every now and then. So they're just used to that. Uh, But Ben's character is someone who you do get introduced through with his name. And with that comes so much mystery for him because you do want to know what he does for a living. 
but you never do get that. And when he like is gets asked about what he does, he uh, you know he answers in such a condescending from up, like looking up down, as like even if I tell you, you wouldn't understand. So I just play, like in this person just driving a Porsche, living a very high class life. And, you know, in some way, he's a great Gatsby in this kind of scenario. So, yeah. um, and those are some things that really stands out to me with this because of that class um, scenario. So, no, you, may, you bring up a lot of valid points. I mean, they do hit on those. What I do like is that when you're introduced to Ben, is like you, when he comes into the frame, it's like you're already your head is already turning like, Oh, yeah. she was on this trip with this guy in mm-hmm. Africa. It's like, but you think, but you think back to like when she re-met Jung Suk at the supermarket, it's like, man, look how quick she was able, like he was like, they got together. Yeah. So if you think she's on, she, she was saying how she got stuck on this trip with this guy, you already know what went down over there. Yeah. And you can, but what I love is like in that one moment, you kind of you see where Jung Su is at, and you see where Ben's at. Like you kind of yeah. you get it immediately. All that information as soon as it got there. So I really I really love the way that they set that they set mm-hmm. that whole plot device up. Yeah, yeah. I I you guys you guys didn't mention the one thing that I felt this whole time. I'll get mm-hmm. to it in a second. But I, this this movie did a really good job of showing you so much context clues of what possibly could be the answer. But never, never answer, answer anything. They don't answer yes. a damn thing about what <laughs> you want answered. And like the movie plays off like I feel like at some point this turned into a mystery. And I honestly don't know when it did, whether it was the introduction of Ben and what his profession was. I feel like the mystery kept building upon itself once Ben was introduced, like Ernesto, like you were saying. No, I was saying I think the mystery started. When they came in about halfway through the film, when mm-hmm. they came to his house and he was asking him and they start smoking weed and he says yeah. all that shit to her. Because right yeah. after that is when she calls him right after he's talking about burning those houses down. Yeah. She calls him. You don't really hear anything. And then the phone hangs up. Right. Like I, said, I mm-hmm. feel like then I feel like kind of like to what you're asking. Like, I feel like for me, then that that's where the mystery started. Right. And so, you know, going back to the imaginary aspect of it, the movie did a good job of like at the very beginning, like almost the second scene or third scene of the movie, they're having dinner and mm-hmm. she's like, look, this is an orange. And yeah. the, the the trick is to not not pretend it's an orange. But I forgot exactly what was the whole line, but it was like this this new thing. Yeah, that she was not there. Pantomime, it, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. There, yeah. Pantomime, yeah, like the tangerine isn't there, but it is there. And so when I'm eating it, it's definitely there. And so like I do agree with you, Ernesto, that it felt like there was a revenge aspect of it because like you called me ugly and now I did surgery and now I look beautiful, right? And now you want to sleep with me, don't you? But guess what? We just had sex and then I'm out. Like, hey, can yeah. you also don't forget, can you look after my cat? Yeah. That, that we didn't we never saw, and she we don't know if she's a liar or not. Because in the, my, my head is like, I think you would know if the cat wasn't there if if the food is gone. But then I also thought, like, if, did she really even leave? Is this a game to her that Ooh, she was nice. like, like if she was putting away, like if she was putting like literally cat shit in the litter and as well as like emptying out, like she could easily put in that food, put it back in the cat, cat uh, bag. Yeah. 
And then having him do that all over again. And then weirdly enough, he was like, had, he had this attraction to her, maybe because where he pointed a lot that every time he visited the house, he started like pleasuring himself. I'm like, I, I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> that was very strange. What was really interesting is that, is that like, it was almost like a different act of the film. Like the first act when he yeah. went there, when he went to go feed the cat, the second time when he went there, when he conned that lady to open the door. Yeah. Right. And at the very end, when he was like imagining she was there, like yeah. almost he was like accepting that she was gone. He was like crying. It was weird. Yeah. <laughs> it was very I think the, the 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 scenes of the masturbation also it comes as a kind of a release from like anxieties that he has. Like he really has so much like the yeah, it was very much like a release of an anxiety, but also the second time that you know he goes in that I think the yeah, the second time he goes to that apartment and he's by himself. He is looking at um, the tower, the tower in Seoul, yes. um, to kind of like as that kind of an idea of a dream of something that you know is um, he wants to reach, but it's so like far away. And the fact that you know they only get a such a quick moment of sunlight from a reflection, not even a direct sunlight, right. in this kind of a very, very tiny house. And I love how the house gets introduced to you. Is like when he walk into the house, it's like, oh my God, this house is amazing. My previous house, my toilet was right next to my kitchen. And the camera just pans and you see the house is like almost like a match box. It's such a yeah. tiny thing and you just think about oh my god what was this guy's house like what was Jiang Su's right. house before this like and all of that so he it, for me those releases was just somewhat uh, releasing of an anxiety but at the same time having this kind of a dreaming about something that he wants to reach but he's not really able to reach um, right. but the question and answer thing, like this film is really full of burning questions that doesn't yeah. get answered. Some of them, yeah. like even like when he moved, like you don't necessarily know what happened to his father at the beginning. Like it, you have to like figure it out way later, like you right. know, what yeah. he did and things like that. So, uh, the film really does not, it does a great job is not having the dialogue explained to you things it's so much of the actual circumstances leading you to a certain clues um you know yeah that that's a really good point you you say like the circumstance that leads you to clues but never answers yeah. and so yeah. like with with that you know uh, uh, ernesto you kind of mentioned when they were all together smoking weed uh, on on his porch and he was saying that he for a living he likes to burn greenhouses like that's his thing. Every one, every about two months, he two months, yeah. every two yeah. months he burns the greenhouse, yeah. and that's like a good release for him. So he's like, he's like, and then uh, 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 John, John, uh, Jiang Su, Jiang Su, yeah. He was like, so I'm, I'm assuming you already scoped out the one you're doing, and he's like, oh yeah, no, it's very close, it's really <laughs> close. And it wasn't until then, like, it wasn't until the moment where he met up with him again. And he was like, so did you ever burn down that greenhouse? Like, oh, no, yeah, I did it. I did that already. Um, and he's like, yeah, it was really close by. I was like almost a couple, two or two or three days later after I met with you. It's like, I think I would have known if you uh, if you would have burned it down, I would have seen it. And then at that moment, it clicked in my head. I'm like, this man is not burning down greenhouses yeah. at all. It's he's he's using the greenhouse as another word for the women. Yeah. And I'm, I, I can only assume that they use a lot of context clues yeah. 
to do that. I don't. I honestly don't think she went away only because I think Ben is a predator. Yeah. Oh. And he 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 looks out certain types of women specifically in in the certain uh like either age or how they act or how they feel. It's like it was very off to the friends that he was like, especially the dinner scene. It was almost like she was a clown and like, look, look, here's my, here's my, uh, my fling of the month. And she's really weird and has these crazy ideas. She's going to be here to perform for us during this dinner party. And then after that, she, you know, shortly after that, she's gone. And then you see him with a different woman shortly after that. And then they show you later in the movie that she, the same group of friends are back together and she's the only one that's talking and they're all observing this new woman as if she's like the new entertainment for the next two months. And I'm like, I'm like, holy shit. This. So, and then it even hones it down for me in my head that when uh, uh, John Sue goes into the bathroom and earlier in the movie, he goes into uh, Ben's uh, apartment into his bathroom and he sees a whole bunch of trinkets of like something that for little girls. And then like, Mm. like they tease in the very beginning of the movie, he opens that up and he sees the watch. And I think at that moment he realizes that, wait a minute, I don't think she ran away. I think she, she is either dead or buried or, and for the title, I thought she was burned. Right. And so I'm like, and so I honestly thought, are they going to like, are they going to answer this question at some point in the movie? Like, are we going to see her do this to the, for the next girl that he's, that he's messing around with. And then you get to like, then you get to the cat scene where like you're saying, we never saw the cat in the, in, in, in her apartment. But then when he's like, Oh yeah, I just got a cat. It was actually a stray. And like, you didn't have a cat before. He's like, yeah, well I found it on the street and I'm my head's turning at this point. I'm like, Holy shit. Like he, he purposely went into apartment, pretend that there was no cat there, making us us confused as the audience. Because like we didn't ever saw the cat, but we saw remnants of the cat. Now there's no remnants of this cat, and now we see her. He called her by the name, and like I felt like he is slowly going insane. Of like he's trying to piece the he's trying to piece everything together, and so by the end of the movie, where he literally stabs him to death and burns down his car and and all of his clothes he's, clothes he's, up. Yeah, <laughs> he's like he's literally stripping yeah. and he's like no evidence and well, that so was that, smart yeah was yeah, smart. yeah definitely <laughs> smart. and so like when the movie ended i was like so frustrated i'm like fuck they didn't answer but they did i think yeah. i think they, they did. did yeah so the thing is i feel like it gives you all these clues that maybe you wouldn't be able to um prove in a court but in a court of public opinion if you had all of these lists, all of these things about this person talking about having a pension for, you know, like uh, arson, you know, this person having all these watches and different type of like handwares from all these different women, um, could it be something? There is this cat that I've never seen, but it may be belonging to another person that has disappeared. So all of these could lead you, or like the house of this, like Hami's house, is now cleaned in a way that wasn't normally be cleaned, right. like yeah. as if somebody somebody's trying to kind of removing uh-huh. hand pre- prints or cover up. So it's all of those things to you, you know, as a viewer or as a public, you're just like, yeah, this guy killed this. Like I'm thinking this person is a serial killer, uh, or you know, done something. But at the same time, you cannot prove it necessarily in a court no. um, because there are still reasonable doubts. So you are dealing with that frustration 
of this kind of a legality of the things and at the same time with your head. So it's a wonderful way. Like, I think, yeah, when he did that whole, like the, the killing at the end and obviously removing all the clothes and everything, um, was his way of now removing the, not only the guilt, but also recreating something that he has done as a child when he burnt all of his mother's clothing and also kind of removing when we see as a kind of like a, sort of as a flashback mixed with greenhounds burning. So, right. yeah, it, it, that's why it frustrates you because you're just like, I know, I think I know this person did it, but right. I cannot prove it. <laughs> right, exactly. And you said, Ali, you mentioned, you know, earlier, in the, like he was, when he was in her apartment and he was pleasuring himself, you said it was a release of everything that was going on in his life. Do you feel like the burning at the end of the movie was also some sort of release? I Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, this, this, it's, it's one of the, like, like you said, Ali, it's, it's a very slow burn of a movie. There are at times where I'm like, where are we going with this? Cause this is, this, this movie is two, two and a half hours. And I feel like I've seen like three long movies already yeah. <laughs> this, this week. Um, but it was like, this movie is really long and I'm like, I'm trying to get it. I know there's stuff there, but toward the end, it just like, once the movie's over, like your head is just like just going in circles back and forth of everything you just witnessed and like what is the right and wrong answer because even like the or Ernesto you mentioned the well and like and I feel like as the audience as well and he is confused he was like hey was there a well here no there's no well well she said there was a well like no there was no well you talked to somebody else he even talked to his mom we even forgot about that he talked yeah. to his mom. He's like, "Oh yeah, no, there was a well there." And then you're like, "Well, fuck! Now there's a well there." You talk to but somebody else. But it was else, dried. <laughs> but it was dried. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, like, well, now was there a well? I'm not sure how important to that story is, but. And then they said, "Well, you know how she she likes to tell stories." I'm like, "Well, fuck! Well, is she is she this is this another one of her stories, or is she is this another imaginary game for her?" Mm-hmm. I honestly don't know where this was, and so like, I honestly, I'm not sure if you guys have it in perspective, but where was her? Where was the the woman who ended up disappearing disappearing, like I felt like the movie once the introduction of Ben was was here, the movie kind of shifted on maybe her side of things, but I wasn't sure what her motives were throughout this whole process. So I felt like the beginning of the film was was all her setup, is for you to get to know her, get to know her, her characteristics, how she's like. You know, they can't, they briefly set up the revenge thing. But then once you introduce Ben, like she slowly started to fade. Her significance started to fade away. The focus started to shift. I mean, also, look, every time they would go to meet up with Ben, like whose idea was it for either for Jung Soo? Because once she's with this guy, like mm-hmm. why you keep, why you keep, why does he keep coming around? Yeah. Like, what was right. the purpose? I think it was her connection to him. Like she was still connected to him. You know, because they grew up together. Like she still wanted to reach out to him. Like mm-hmm. right. she felt, she felt, you know, she felt connected to him. And like ultimately, that's what led to him finding out about yeah. what happened. So I think right. she was merely there just to, so you can see the connection, how the how he was able to get caught. You know, and, right. and her setup could be very much like a red herrings as well. Like you know, throughout you knowing her, you figure out like, oh, so she makes up a lot of stories. Yeah. She's very imaginative and like she does things for fun. Oh, I just decide that I want to just go visit Africa for no necessarily reason, just by myself. Right. So all of these are just setups for you to think, I'm not sure if I can really like trust or completely um, 
yeah, completely trust this person. So in order for you to kind of like not necessarily see it coming as her being really a victim um, yeah. later on. Yeah. Makes you ask the question. Yeah. It made me ask a lot of questions. <laughs> but that's just a, that's just to shows you how good the writing is. Because yeah. you were interested enough to want to keep finding out, to keep you interested in this movie for what, for two and a half hours. Yeah. That's yeah, not I, even in the language that you understand. <laughs> that, that is correct. Yes, that's for sure. There was a lot of moments like there's still that, you know, watching a foreign film, I'm not used to it personally. So, like, I feel like a lot of the times... I might have maybe spent about three hours watching this movie because, like, I felt like the dialogue went so quick. I got to rewind it and, and like, or, or either that or just like pause, read, play, go, pause, read, play, go. Because sometimes it went by a little too quicker for me. And so, yeah, I mean, all, all in all, like, it was a very thought-provoking movie. And also, like, going back to our main character, he was our main focus throughout the whole film, and they really showed like where he was at he was like a place of loneliness and maybe there was one person that gave him a little bit of attention in his life and he just fixated on her throughout this whole process and led him to i guess would you say madness i don't know it's like a, almost like a like a break it seems like he had like the same kind of break that his father did which mm -hmm. is why i think he kept going to his cases yes. like he felt like he was connected to his father. You know, everybody feel you feel connected to your to mm -hmm. your parents, but he felt like you know he's not even apologizing. You know, because he had that scene with the lawyer where he's like, yeah. he's not even yeah. going to apologize for it. You know, maybe he's afraid that he's going to turn out just like him. And in a way, he kind of did because this yeah. girl drove him crazy, and then he stabbed Glenn from The Walking Dead, and yeah. he was fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's just like this person that you thought, oh, my God, I cannot believe you're the son of someone who has anger issues, like right. serial anger issues and serial kind of like issues with the law regarding it. Oh, I can't believe this person who really does everything by law. Now, suddenly he breaks through what he is kind of getting hereditary from his father. Right. Uh, do, do based on your guys' perception of the film, do you feel like in any way Ben is absolutely innocent and did not deserve yeah. to die at the end? I think I think you could look at it as well. Maybe he doesn't kill them. Maybe he just likes to steal something from these girls who he mm -hmm. who he uses and then leaves. Like it's almost like a little memoir. Maybe right. he didn't kill them. Maybe he maybe she did just run away. I mean mm -hmm. we. Realistically, we don't know, but we have we strong don't. suspicions that she's dead. Exactly. Right. That, I agree. Second. <laughs> Second that. <laughs> he seconds that motion. Yeah, yeah. Second <laughs> that motion. So do you, do you also, to second that question, do you, want, do you honestly think that he is burning down greenhouses? No. <laughs> I don't what know. I, what, what I originally thought, because I didn't think the, 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 the killing thing at first, what I originally thought is that he was telling him that to fuck with him. Because there was that whole moment when he drives up to his house and he calls him right away. Like, he knows that he's been following him. Right. So he, so almost like the greenhouse, because when he tells him, oh, you looked at all the greenhouses? You've been searching every day? Like, why are you giving, like, I'm so important. Like, you're giving me so much attention that you're yeah. trying to find the time to find if I did all these greenhouses. So I almost thought there was a, a, like a hint of, like, I want to see how obsessed you are with me. 
And uh, one, sorry, and one thing that like you know he said is like oh so you saw like and he said like I looked at all these greenhouses near my house and none of them have been burned down and he was saying is like I think it was too close to you to realize so right. that it could be that his relation with Hami that is just so close that he just hasn't realized so for him it's just like he's going around searching all these greenhouses but there's no damn greenhouse that is supposed to be burnt yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> right <laughs> and that that's what made me think that he had some responsibility of her disappearance and or death as like the greenhouse and like you know very close to you meant her not an actual greenhouse but like Man, this movie fucks with you, man. It's it's it like really I really don't know what to believe because they and I felt like like you were saying, Ali, that they maybe threw in a lot of red herrings there just to fuck with you. Like mm-hmm. like half this shit didn't probably really even matter in the story, but they were just throwing it just to like kind of throw you off guard. And at the end of it, sometimes in movies they're like, hey, we're gonna throw this off guard, we're gonna throw you off guard here, 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 but then we're gonna answer, we're gonna give you all the answers at the very end. But in this case, like, we're going to throw you off guard here, here, and here. And at the very end, we're still going to throw you off guard. Yeah. <laughs> so, all in all, I feel like it was a very, like... Great film. Really it was a great, great was, film. Yeah, I, I feel like at at the very end, it's just a very thought-provoking... Maybe at times it just comes off as a, as a, as a slow burn, but... The more you think about it, it's, it could be – I'm not sure if I would do it again, but there are some cases where, like, you kind of want to watch it again mm-hmm. to see if there I were did. anything – see if there were any other clues that they presented in the beginning of the film that made you lead to other things that you, maybe you weren't looking at before. Well, I mean, think about this, Matt. You watched a movie that's in another language for yes. two and a half hours, and yes. you're kind of thinking about what – like, you're on the fence of thinking about whether you not you should watch it again – yeah. Those three things in itself should be an indication that sure? it might be worth that it might be worth rewatching because yeah. otherwise you're like, man, I gotta do all this work and it's two and a half hours. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? Like you're still mm-hmm. and you're ta- like you're still thinking about it. You're still thinking about <laughs> yeah. aspects of that film. So that just mm-hmm. to, that just to show you how strong the writing is. And mm-hmm. it kind of makes me think like maybe like like this is a second director we've talked about from south korea maybe there's something more to a lot more of these south korean films mm-hmm. that we're missing out on yeah. because you know when people are disenfranchised some of them it comes out it comes out um more through their art and maybe these are just two that have shone above the rest and maybe there's some others that we're missing out on very true and this is why you know we would like to continue like especially kind of broadening heart broadening nope broadening, broadening. Thank you. Uh, Our horizons yeah. Yeah. Uh, on, you know, you know, either showcasing and watching, you know, foreign film, because, you know, I, I, I'm not I'm not the one to go to it, but I'm still open to it. So I feel like for us, at least for me, this is a good way to kind of see what other films are out there, and what other people in other countries are creating, because there's some great work out there. And this one is just another example of how much great work uh, that is that is happening in other countries. Uh, so any last thoughts before we, we end this? Great film. Highly recommend you guys watch it. If you do watch it, let us know what are some of your thoughts and theories in uh, in the comments, not in, in, on Insta or on yeah. the emails. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I recommend it too. I have nothing else to add, I think. Yeah, but I will watch it again I, and later maybe have some other readings from it. That right. I, yeah. And that, that I, easily could happen. Yeah. I think, I think I would like to watch it maybe later on with somebody who hasn't watched it. 
so that I can get my own perspective and then I can get their fresh perspective. That is a good way. Yeah, I, I, that, that's a good way of looking at that as well. Um, I guess so with that, that's our foreign film of the month. Uh, hopefully we can continue this, at least try to get one in every month. I know we slacked in the last two, but, you know, you know, COVID-19 happened and we kind of go off we're the directory. But we're, we're getting back yeah, on it. Right, yeah, we're going to yeah. we're going to we're going to keep on it. Um, but I think as of right now, that's all the show we have for you guys this week. Ali, thank you very much for coming back on to the show. Really do appreciate it. Ernesto, you're going to. Uh, Ali, I do want to say, is there anything, anything you want to plug, anything you want to um, kind of shed a spotlight on, anything you're working on? I know you mentioned your grant, but anything, any other projects or anything you're working on you kind of want to plug? I don't have anything like new that you guys can watch. Um, like I said, a lot of the projects that I was having kind of have been halted, but uh, mm-hmm. hopefully in the next um, semester or so and be able to have some um, kind of an installation work that I can perhaps have it also as a video documentation that can be seen. Okay. And then where can okay. people, where can people find you on the socials? They can find me on, I, I use Instagram the most. Um, and they can find me at Ali Akbari, And that's my preferred method right now of like seeing things and having my like YouTube channel like featured there. So. Awesome. Uh, Ali, b- before you go, I do have one more question for you. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's going to change. We asked you this six months ago, yeah. uh, and you gave us an answer. And I, I'm kind of curious. We we ask at the end of every episode, what's your favorite movie? Last time you gave us uh, an answer that you said maybe it wasn't a movie, but it was a TV show. It was The Simpsons. You mm-hmm. really hold near, dear in your heart. That was the, the show that helped you, you said, learn English? Yes. Or at least part- uh, I mean, not so much uh, what- English, but it was very much of a good introduction to American culture and society. Right. So is there any is there any movie that comes to mind now that comes out as one of your tops? Um, so if you don't want me to necessarily repeat saying The Simpsons, I don't know. Right. Um, <laughs> um, let me. Gosh, uh, it's this is very difficult. Um, or any recent favorite? Anything you've seen recently that you go wow? Like recently, this is the most this this is my most favorite recent movie. Yeah. Um, I think you know, especially since we are talking about like foreign films, um, and one film like me being from Iran, and um, I know a lot of people know about this film, but you know, some may not. But I I highly suggest like films from Iran to be seen, um, and I think um, film a separation. Um, if you haven't seen it, I think it's on Netflix. It's the first, it was the first film from Iran to win, um, the Oscar, uh, for best foreign language film. And I think if it's a wonderful film for you to like get into watching uh, a lot of Iranian films, um, and, you know, just in general, Asghar Farhadi's, um, like filmography is something to explore um, and then right after that, you have so many other filmmakers like um, Mahmoud or Kiarostami to explore from Iran. So since we are on that theme, I think I want to say my favorite Iranian film, and that was A Separation. So going off of that, if we were to review this film, if it's available, uh-huh. would you want to? Would you be willing to come back on and review it with us? Oh, absolutely! I've seen that film so many times, and I will. Really <laughs> so, well, yeah. it'd be interesting, you know, yeah. hear, seeing a movie from your country. Obviously, this holds near and dear to your heart, so you'd be able to shed some light on some absolutely. closer, 
some closer things that are probably highlighted in the film that even if we as passive viewers, we probably wouldn't be able to get. Yeah, absolutely. I would be, I would love to come back and just anytime. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's sure. uh, also a way for me to get you to come back on. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I was just about to say that we we heard it live here first. He's coming back on. We got him. <laughs> you have no excuse now. But Ali, thank you very much as always to coming on to the show, talking movies with us. Always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, just you know, wait. We we've, we've had these conversations many times, and uh, we were talking before we started recording. Hopefully, fingers crossed that with the theaters reopening back up. And you're still in town, and Tenet is coming into theaters. I know we're all excited for that. So hopefully, we can hopefully maybe get together and have that experience once again. It's been a while since we were able to share this. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. If you want more from us, you can always go to our Instagram page at boxoffice underscore bingers. We, like, like I mentioned earlier in the show, we've been doing posts of recognizing black cinema. Every Monday, we now we have a movie showdown Mondays where we put certain creators to the test and put them against their own films. On Wednesdays, we have, um, you know, we showcase a, a composer, try to guess what the music is, and then we give you a little bit of insight on, on, on that composer and the soundtrack as well. On Fridays, it's new to stream Fridays. You can always, you know, see what's coming new to the streaming services. It's all there. It's all there on yeah. Box office underscore bingers on our Instagram page. Definitely give it a look. You won't be disappointed. Uh, Ali, again, thank you very much for coming on to the show. Always a pleasure to have you on. And for that, I've been your host, Matt Diaz. Ben Ernesto Santos. See you guys.